All right, everybody. Thanks for clicking in for another episode of Sons of Saturday. We have a great show for all of you today. Uh, Really excited to welcome on Sam Rogers to the podcast. Uh, Really enjoyed uh, his answers and his stories and uh, his anecdotes speaking on his time while at Virginia Tech and also learning about his new coaching philosophy uh, as the head coach at Hanover High School right outside of Richmond, Virginia. In addition to having Sam Rogers, we have the Locks of Saturday back for another week of sending in units. This is going to be awesome. I'm really excited to listen. You know, we're, I'm recording this right now on Wednesday. They haven't even recorded yet, but I'm excited to hear what the Locks have to say about this upcoming slate because it is a big one. This is definitely the biggest uh, weekend of college football thus far. Other than that, Shout out to the Main Street Pharmacy. Shout out to Jeremy Counts, Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts. He will greet you with a smile. His friendly staff will assist you. They care about this Virginia Tech community more than most of the businesses around Blacksburg, more more than most of the businesses, honestly, in the state of Virginia. I mean, these guys at the Main Street Pharmacy, they treat you like a neighbor, not a number. So go down there, check them out. Give them your business. They are great people, and they are a fantastic representation of the Blacksburg, Virginia Tech, and New River Valley community. Other than that, let's just jump right into it. Let's let's uh, let's hear what Sam has to say. Let's hear what the locks have to say. We got a big one on Saturday, and uh, I'm fired up. So let's go. everyone we have a very special guest here it is wednesday october 7th and uh you know if you guys have noticed we're bringing on some uh, some hokey legends over the past few episodes we had isaiah on we got coach foster uh a couple uh, days ago as well and today we are proud to bring you former virginia tech fullback slash running back slash quarterback sam rogers <laughs> sam welcome to the sons of saturday how are you I'm great, man. I appreciate you guys having me. This is awesome. What a virtual readoff. That's the most uh that's the most positions we've ever done for a readoff. So Sam and and head coach. So we got that's a versatile uh versatile introduction. Well done, Pat. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so Sam, you went to Hanover High School, graduated in 2013, walked on at Virginia Tech and uh quickly emerged into a star at Virginia Tech, but Got to hear about the upbringing in Richmond, and why did you end up at Virginia Tech? How did that story unfold? Yeah, so um, I ended up at Virginia Tech. Uh, I didn't have many offers, to be honest with you. Uh, coming, coming out of high school, I had two offers from Bucknell and St. Francis, and you know, people, for whatever reason, thought I was a big risk. Um, that's what I kept hearing. You're too much of a risk. We don't know where we're going to put you, which obviously I just took really well, you know, not at all. Did not take that well, but, uh, <laughs> I over and over again heard that I was, you know, too small to play quarterback. That's what I played in high school. Uh, I wasn't fast enough to play a skill position. You know, I was kind of that tweener guy. Um, but I knew I always wanted to play big time football. That was my goal. Nothing against Buckingham or St. Francis going to those schools didn't really excite me. 
Um, after I was awarded the All Metro Offensive Player of the Year in Richmond, I actually had UVA and Virginia Tech come and start recruiting me heavily as a walk-on, a preferred walk-on. So I took official visits to both places. Um, actually, Mike London at the time came, did an in-home visit with me. Um, so it was kind of between those two, uh, between UVA and Virginia Tech. And obviously, you know, I wanted to win some football games, so I went to Virginia Tech. It's <laughs> bottom line there. So tell us a little bit about, about your up, upbringing. Um, time in high school, most influential people in your life uh, before arriving at Virginia Tech. Uh, who, who was Sam Rogers before Virginia Tech? Man, um, probably pretty similar to who you know, Billy. You know, um, I kind of always had like a chip on my shoulder. And I think that was because being a younger brother, I have a brother that's five years older than me. I'm the youngest of three. I have an older sister and older brother. Um, so growing up, I'd always compete with my brother and everything and his friends. So I was playing against guys that were five years older than me. And when you're young, you kind of get beat up doing that a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, but then as you got older, as I got into like middle school, I started becoming pretty good at sports and it felt like my brother was kind of using me to hustle his friends a little bit. It's like play Sam in one-on-one in basketball real quick and piss off his friends playing them. But um, <laughs> it was always just a competitive household. Like we've loved football. Um, that's come to me, my brother, and my dad have all bonded on. And then going into, let's kind of give you a little imagery of it, but going into middle school as a sixth grader, I told my dad, it's like, Hey, I, I want to start as a sixth grader. I know people don't start as a sixth grader on the middle school team, but that's my goal. I want to do that. Like, what do I do? He's like, all right, start off with 60 pushups tonight. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do 60 pushups tonight. And then when 60 got easy, I was like, dad, what else do I do? It's like, do 70 and then do 80. And then like, by the time I was in like seventh, eighth grade, doing like 300, 400 pushups a night, just like getting big and strong, right? And became a really good player there. And then going into high school, same thing. I want to start a quarterback as a freshman. So like it was always kind of like setting big goals and achieving them. So I had those as kind of milestones. So I was like, man, why not shoot my shot and try this again, you know, at, at a Division One school? So um, that's kind of how it led to Virginia Tech. So I'm sure that spending a ton of time uh, learning and developing, playing with guys who are significantly older than you, uh, you know, kind of give you a chip on your shoulder as you got to Virginia Tech, you know, being a preferred walk-on. Who are some of those guys that kind of helped you along the way when you first got to Virginia Tech, you know, as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed freshman in 2013, um, you know, in that first season and ultimately kind of helped develop you into the uh, player that you became? Man, there's a lot of people. Uh, First off, I can't go without saying this, like Shane Beamer was huge uh, for me. He was the first guy that truly, I felt like, believed – in me at Virginia Tech. And then right beyond that, it was Frank Beamer, Coach Beamer. So uh, those two people kind of instilled a confidence in me. Uh, When I knew that these guys who had watched a ton of football believed in me, I knew I could do some other things. But uh, beyond that, it was honestly kind of difficult coming in there as a walk-on with that recruiting class, because whether whether it was real or not, what it felt like was man, these guys believe they're significantly better than me. They were, they viewed me as just the walk-on. So whether it was true or not, I convinced myself that I was always the underdog and I always had to prove myself, which probably wasn't true, but that's how I kind of convinced myself of it. Um, so honestly, the people in uh, my class that I came in with helped me a ton uh, just because it kind of felt like we were always competing with them. You know, like I saw Kendall Fuller, I saw Bucky Hodges, I saw Andrew Matuapalak, I saw these guys. I'm like, they're they're big time players. I need to go show them that I can hang with them. So I don't know if it was someone wasn't really necessarily someone taking me under their wing, more so just uh, the natural competition that came with everything. 
So you just mentioned it. That 2013 class was extremely talented. You had Motu, you had Bucky, you had Kendall. So when you approached practice and when you approached meetings and everything, and you know, obviously uh, every, any teammate that you have will say that's one of the best teammates I've certainly ever had. But how did you approach the actual practices? How did you approach, okay, I need to separate myself. I need to find a way to get on the field, earn myself a scholarship. How did you approach that day by day? What, what, how did you kind of look at every single day when you approached it? Yeah, for me, it started right when I made the decision to go to Virginia Tech. Um, I'm sure if you ask Coach Shane this, uh, from the very beginning, I was just bugging him about him sending me some, some plays to look at so I could start learning the playbook. So it started – uh, in February when I made the decision, um, I'm sure he was like, who the heck is this walk-on continuing to call me and ask for plays? But it started then because uh, I knew, look, I'm not going to be as fast as everyone, right? Like I'm not going to be as big as everyone. So I have to make sure I know exactly what to do. So maybe I can mimic like a 4-6 guy when I'm really not a 4-6 guy. Does that make sense? So like I had to make sure I knew what to do mentally so I could – uh, I could you know, have an edge on other people. So it started with just hounding him about that. Then I'd actually, um, right after high school would let out when spring ball was happening, I would drive three hours up to Virginia Tech and go watch spring ball and literally just try to stand behind and listen to the huddles. And I'll start listening to plays and start getting used to it because when Coach Leffler was there, it was more of a pro style and there were long plays. And so it was that when I got there, staying late and looking at the playbook over and over and over again, something that I used, used to do, I would record myself saying the place um, like over. So I probably had like 120 recordings on my phone and I'd go out on the field, press play, listen to it, go line up and run through the play. So it was all that preparation that would help me play real confident and practice, honestly. So once I got to practice, like I know exactly what to do. Um, and I felt like I had an edge because there was a new offense coming in in 2013. So I felt like mm-hmm. everyone was on the, on, the same, on the same page, right? So, like, I had the same start as everyone else. I just had to learn it quicker and better than these other people. So that was my goal coming in. So I think that's how I was able to play a little bit more confident. And then when, you know, Coach Beamer, both Coach Beamers bring you in uh, and they have the moment they do decide to, to put you on scholarship – what was that moment like? A lot of, like, how did they break it to you? Um, you know, how was that received? And how did that kind of push you to your next goal? What was your next goal after that? Yeah, so uh, they told me from the beginning, they said, if you win the starting fullback job, they said it's going to be open. If you win that job, then you're going to be put on scholarship. So I was like, all right, there's the goal. Let's go, let's go win that job. And, uh, Riley Byro was there before me. Uh, then he hurt his shoulder, um, so he couldn't play anymore. So I came into an open position battle and they told me that from the get-go because I was competing with two other guys and I remember after practice one time coach Beamer said hey uh, these people come see me after practice he listed off some people and I was one of them I was like oh crap what did I do like there's no way I'm in trouble right now and then I think I remember like Logan Thomas coming up to me like dude you're getting on scholarship are you serious so uh, you know coach Beamer brought me in and told me that I was gonna be put on scholarship after that first semester and that was just an awesome call to make to my parents uh, and tell them about that. And, you know, my girlfriend, who is now my wife at the time, calling my family, calling everyone was just it was so fun just to just to say that, because a lot of people, like I said, it felt like a lot of people had doubted that um, it would happen. So that felt good. And as far as the next goal, <laughs> I remember saying in high school to my dad, I was like, Dad, if I could just run down on kickoff like my freshman year, that would be awesome. Like That would be mm-hmm. sweet. And I had been used to getting the ball every single play in high school. I was like, Dad, if I could just run down and kick off. And after that first game against Alabama, 
he was like, hey, do you still just want to run down on kickoff? I said, no, I want the ball every play again. <laughs> like immediately <laughs> like, went from like, oh, I'd be content with just running down on kickoff. And I was like, no, I, want, I would like to have the ball again. So um, it quickly became like, all right, this is great. I enjoy this, but let's take the next step. Let's see how far we can push it. And as you look back on your career with Coach Beamer and kind of the lessons you learned and what you accomplished um, through that tenure, what were some of the biggest moments, your favorite moments as you look back on it and some of the lessons that you learned and kind of being molded into uh, the person that you became over those years? Yeah, I mean, you know this. Uh, Coach Beamer, he cares more than just you as a football player. You know, he was honestly like everyone's dad there. You know, uh, he was your dad away from home. So something that stuck out to me about Coach Beamer was actually before he even knew me as a football player, uh, my brother and his friends were caught in a house fire in Hampton, Sydney. And him and his friend, uh, well, his friend actually was running back in after my brother and um, ended up getting in, caught in the house and was in pretty critical condition for a couple months. Anyway, Coach Beamer heard about this story and he actually called my brother and his friend just to tell him that he was thinking about them and he was praying for them. And just him making that call, it wasn't an effort to get me. He didn't know me. So like that was the kind of person I was like, wow, I'm going to go play for this kind of this kind of man that's not doing it to get his name out there. This was before the Twitter thing was so crazy. It was before any of that. He was doing it just because he cared about people. So that's something right from the get go that impacted me. But man, obviously, all those big games you play in Lane Stadium on Thursday night, that that's something you'll never forget. Um, and uh, I will never forget the the team meeting when he told us that he was going to be he was going to be done after the year. And I remember like breaking down because like, man, this is one of the guys that actually believed in me. Um, so, I mean, there's a ton of, ton of great lessons. He, he showed me that you can be a coach and care about the full individual and not just about winning. I think he's um, in the, in the small percentage of people who, who have done it the, the right way. So um, definitely learned a lot from him, man. Yeah. I, the, the only way you can really describe it um, for anybody with that team meeting is, a, you never thought it would happen, and B, it's like a superhero. Like you're watching a superhero, even though you see him every day and you watch a moment like that. And even when he did it uh, with the news cameras there, you never thought that moment was going to come, even if you're spending every single day with him. So, um, yeah, yeah definitely unbelievable moment and an unbelievable human being. Um, and then transitioning to the coaching search. And I remember this meeting. Uh, I always applaud. I think the athletic department did – an unbelievable job from, I, I almost said client facing, but a player facing perspective uh, when you're going through a change like that. And uh, Mr. Babcock came, Babcock came in and said, Hey, look, like we're very interested in getting some of the players input on what kind of person you're looking for in the next coach, what kind of qualities, what kind of not really system, but like, what do we want in our next head coach? And I'm curious when you heard that question and you thought about it, I mean, you're following up a legend. You're following up someone who's been at Virginia Tech forever, an absolute mainstay and a household name. What did you think of when he asked that question? Man, so he actually – I was uh, I was fortunate enough to be brought in with a couple other people, and we got to talk to him in a small group about that same question. And the, the biggest thing on my mind was I want someone who wants to be at Virginia Tech to be at Virginia Tech not someone that's trying to use this as a stepping stone to go to like Bama, LSU, or something like that. Like I want someone that is passionate about Blacksburg, right? Um, so that was one thing that I thought of. And then another thing is, 
man, you have to have someone that is going to do it the right way and care about the full individual. Cause that's what we just learned from coach Beamer. So like you have to have someone that is, um, that is going to care about the, the entire individual. And then lastly, and not uh, least important here, but um, we got to have someone that's competitive as all get out and wants to take Virginia tech to that next level. You know what I mean? We got to have someone that's committed to bringing Virginia tech um, to being a national contender every year. And man, I don't think we could have found a more perfect fit in coach Fuente. Like I, I cherish my time with both of those coaches, man. It's, it was awesome. Like getting to have that one year with coach Fuente, it felt like I was with them for, for 10 years. It, it was an awesome experience. So that's kind of how that whole transition happened for me. And something that I think is, has been frustrating um, amongst, you know, talking, or, or this is kind of the way it used to be, is a lot of people want to compare and contrast and kind of assume that Coach Fuente has to be Coach Beamer. And they, they really are so different, but so unique in their own way. So I just want to ask you, like, can you kind of contrast or compare and compare the two? Um, who is Coach Fuente? What kind of impact did he have on you? What is his coaching style to someone that may not know? Um, you know, just kind of give us the breakdown on that. Yeah, like as far as comparing and contrasting that, I feel like I've answered this question a ton to uh, people that aren't friends like you. So like I can probably be a little bit more honest with you. But like what I tell people, and I do believe this, you went from a blue collar guy to a blue collar guy. It's not like you were going from foundationally different people. Foundationally, I think they're really similar. They want to do things the right way. They care about people and they believe in hard work and they believe in details. But the way that expresses itself can be different. They have different personalities. They're not going to be exactly the same. Um, Something that I thought was awesome about Coach Fuente when he came in you could tell he was coaching with an edge. He was ready to just, he was ready to set his culture in there. First day of Colorado's. (laughs) And and the seniors, correct me if I'm wrong, like we were craving that, right? Like we wanted it to happen. Like we were like, man, we want to, we've seen these other people before us go experience these big time games, but we haven't experienced it yet. We've been the people that have just been hanging on saying, oh, yeah, we were the we watched Virginia Tech play Michigan. We watched these big games, but we hadn't played in them yet. You know, we had gone to the Sun Bowl. We had gone, you know what I mean? It, was, it wasn't anything that we really wanted to hang our hat on. So when we had someone coming in there and pushing us, I feel like the seniors, we jumped in with both feet and we were trying to convince everyone else, you better listen to this guy because there's, there's a new energy, right? Uh, there's a, uh, there a new life in that building. So, um, that's how I remember it, man. I just remember like, it was hard. Yes. Like I felt like I was going to die during Colorado. Don't get me wrong. But like, it was also like, I was right there with you. (laughs) So that was, that was kind of how it was for me. Yeah. You get in there in 2016 and then you mentioned those seniors. I mean, that was a group that was very talented and had so much leadership, you know, Kenny Canham, Nigel Williams, Augie, Chuck Clark, Jay Glock, Woody Barron, the list goes on. What was it like working with that group of guys, you know, in that first year and uh, essentially, uh, you know, getting to the goal of the Coastal uh, Division Champs and to the AC Championship, uh, you know, is what we're trying to do every year. What was it like being that first group to do that in a long time? It was awesome. Um, I think, I think when I knew like things were different, like when I really realized, like, okay, like we're fully bought in. It was when we started smacking teams that we should have smacked before. You know what I mean? You know how we kind of before we kind of let teams linger. Boston College, yeah. Yeah, so we let teams linger that we should have came out and and beat pretty bad. But we came out and beat up on Boston College, and then we beat up on 
on Virginia at the end of the year. Yeah. Virginia at the end of the year, all that stuff. So that was, that was big for me to see all that. So, so to your point, you mentioned, you know, playing in those big games and finding games to win. And, and we talked about this with coach Fuente on our interview a few weeks ago was learning opportunities. And you have a learning opportunity every time that you line up, whether it's a scrimmage, whether it's a game, whether it's a win, whether it's a loss. And one of those real turning points that I've, Real, that you could feel across the entire locker room was that Tennessee game. Everybody was excited about the Tennessee game. Coach Beamer was talking about that Tennessee game back when I was getting recruited. It was a huge deal. Bristol Motor Speedway, just an absolute spectacle. And the word that stands out in my, house, in my head the whole year is Coach Fuente at halftime is, you guys are surprised that we're winning this football. Like, I don't understand why you guys are standing on the, standing on the bleachers, waving towels, freaking out. I told you guys we're going to come here and we have a really good football team. And you, we lost that game. And then there was a noticeable difference in practice, a noticeable difference in film, a noticeable difference in, in literally everything that we did. What lesson do you think was learned? Did we just need to realize that how talented we were buying into the system? What do you think led to that huge change? I think you said exactly right. Like what I, what I remember from that game is coach Fuente during halftime. And then also the next day when we're watching film says, why are you guys shocked by success? And like, it was in that moment. I was like, Oh wow. Like, I think we were like, we were a hundred percent shocked. We went, we went up 14, nothing mm-hmm. on Tennessee um, in the biggest college football game ever. And we let our emotions get the better of us. You know, we had a, uh, and I think I look back like as seniors, we should have done a better job, like controlling that a little bit. I honestly remember exactly what he's talking about. I can picture it now when Trayvon scored that long touchdown run and we have some young guys standing up on the bench, waving the towels. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, all right, do I stop this right now? Do I lock them back in? Do I let them kind of enjoy this moment? I really had this like thought in my head. I didn't, I didn't really know how to handle it. And going back, I, I really wish I would have kind of brought up the team and like, been like, Hey, we, we got to lock in. Like we got to Let's go, let's go step on them now. Let's go, let's go finish this thing. But little by little, we just had turnover, fumble here, fumble there. And it kind of, it kind of just trailed from there. But I think you're right. If we didn't have that game, I don't know if we had the same season, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if like what we talked about before, I don't know if we go and beat Boston college what we did or ECU the way we did. Um, I think it's good to be, handed some, some humility early like that, um, especially with a team that was learning how to win, right? Like it wasn't like we were an established team yet. We were still learning how to win. So that was, uh, that was huge for us for sure. Yeah, I think that, I think that win or, or that game paid dividends down the line with the Notre Dame game because Notre Dame, you get punched in the mouth yeah. and you find a way to get it done in a hostile environment. Um, Pat Finn makes the argument that's the biggest win that this program has had in the last – in the last 10 years, regardless of how good that team is, it's Notre Dame. It's a talented team. Primetime that's television. The that's the argument. It's a talented team. And in, uh, in South Bend, it's cold. Again, get punched in the mouth, find a way to win that game. Um, and then you fast forward to Virginia and senior day. And it's kind of, you got a real look. And I know you didn't intend it this way, but you got, everybody got to see Sam Rogers and how much he loves Virginia Tech. And it was before the game even started. Uh, I just want you to kind of walk us through the emotions of that day. Uh, obviously, 15 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns, 134 all-purpose yards. You know, just kind of walk us through that day and everything that's going through your head. I mean, you are clinching the division for the first time when you were just talking about years before that, letting teams hang around, losses that shouldn't have been had. What was it like to kind of look back at your career and kind of cap it that way? 
Gosh, it, like, it was honestly surreal. Like everything about that day was insane. I remember uh, being in the tunnel and me and uh, John McLaughlin were just like sitting there like, dude, you're not crying. I'm like, I'm not crying. You're not crying. Like dude, we're tears just coming down our face. Like uh, just thinking about everything, thinking about coming back to Vauder Hall when there's no AC and it's July of 2013. And I'm just trying to make a name for myself. And then looking at it where it was on that day, where you're, you're close with all, like you have a new family. And, and like you said, you're, you're winning the ACC coastal that day. Um, and then thinking about coach Beamer, I got to wear 25 that day. Like that was thinking about everything that he meant to me. Like he couldn't have written it any better. Um, and then, you know, they, they give me the ball a lot. And when they give me the ball, a lot, <laughs> like you think they would start doing that more, but um <laughs> Only time I had over 10 carries, uh, Billy, I went for over 100. So I don't know. But there you go. Um, you know, just thinking about all that stuff. And then on top of that, the best part of the, uh, the entire day, I knew that I was proposing to my girlfriend, now wife, at the end of it. So I had like every emotion possible coming into that moment. And I was just like, it all kind of, it all kind of hit me at once. And then the hard part was locking back in to play a football game because you have all those emotions. And it's like, all right, how do I lock back in and do my job and not just mm-hmm. fumble the ball every time I touch it? <laughs> so, it was crazy. And then you come back a couple years later and you get asked to come to midfield, pump up the crowd <laughs> before the fourth quarter. I think we were losing the UVA at the time. You get uh, you get the perspiration coming out. You could see the smoke coming out of Sam Rogers' mouth. Let's go, everyone. <laughs> this is our state. <laughs> walk us through that moment first of all you know like when did they tell you that they wanted you to do that and then how did you know that you just wanted to absolutely blow the roof off the place (laughs) so they asked me earlier in the year they kind of prepped me for it like hey would you want to do it one time I was like yeah sure I'll do it um and I was coaching actually at Benedictine High School that year so I got to make sure that we were done with the season whatever anyway ended up being the UVA game and me being a prep guy, I was real nervous about like the echo because if I talk and I can hear myself, you ever done that on a phone, like where you can hear your echo and it just, it just stymies you. Like you cannot speak after that. So I was real worried about it. So I said, Hey, can I come in and practice like before the game? <laughs> and they like opened it up <laughs> to make sure that I could come in and practice before the game. Cause I was all worried about doing it right. But then again, I could hear my echo, wasn't super confident in it. So I was like, all right, I got to speak in short little phrases and like be real mm-hmm. powerful with it. Then I thought like, man, what if we're losing? Like, how, like, I don't know what to do. Anyway, but it timed up perfectly where we had the ball like on the six yard line or something about to score. And like the momentum was shifting back in our favor. And I kind of had planned what I was going to say. And... <laughs> When I came out there, you just start feeling the energy. I wasn't planning to get that pumped up. But you start feeling the energy again. You're like, oh, all right, here we go. And I felt like I was like leading the WWE out there. So that was a ton of fun just getting everyone jacked up and ready to go. And, you know, I felt like I could go out there and hit someone at that moment. I, I was ready to go fight the whole Virginia team right there. <laughs> I was going to say, does, uh, does Bo Davidson shoot you a text every morning at 4.30 a.m. when he tweets out that, uh, that short little video? <laughs> I do get texts from my friends like, hey, they posted it again. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so funny that you mentioned it. Like, um, I was the echo is definitely something to think about. But when you see someone do it, when you attend a game, there's a rhythm that you have to have in order for it to work. 
Um, and the speaking in short sentences with the pauses. Um, I don't even know if you meant to do the pauses or if you were adding it for climactic effect because you were looking over to the other sideline. I mean, it was it was perfect. I think I think we got to start opening the gates a little early and let people get a little get a little rep in before because that was no that doubt. was fantastic. Um, so moving on before we move on to your career at Hanover to tie everything together at Virginia Tech. Um, just interested as you look back at your time, Coach Beamer, Coach Fuente on the field, off the field, people around the school. What did you take away from your career at Virginia Tech? Um, what are some of the, you know, highlights of that time? And I know it's impossible to kind of to kind of tie it in. We could sit here all day, but just um, first thing, that, first couple things that come to you. Man, that, I mean, it sounds, I'm going to say the cliches, you know what I mean? But the, I think the cliches are cliches for a reason because they're true, right? Like it truly became your home away from home. Like the whole this is home thing, That that is my home away. I remember when, me and Lauren, my wife, we went up there uh, for a game after I graduated. We literally said to each other, we feel like we're coming home. And she went to South Carolina. You know what I mean? Like, it, it had become home for her. There's something special about Blacksburg. It'll always have that place in my heart. Um, it just feels like home again. And, uh, like, just the relationships, man, it's that. It's that place in the relationships. They're, they're lifelong relationships where I can get on a, a Zoom call with you and and talk to you and just when I when I look at you I think of all the the memories that that we had just together as players and as teammates and um, that kind of stuff is just special to me so those are the kind of things that pop in my head. So you start your coaching career at Benedictine which is outside of uh, Richmond Virginia and then now you're coaching at your alma mater Hanover High School Uh, started as an assistant last year in 2019 And now, look at you, Sam Rogers. You are the head coach of a football program in the state of Virginia. What was what was it like getting that promotion? uh, You know, knowing that you've played under uh, some great coaches over the past uh, you know ten or so years. Uh, What's it like being a head coach and running your own program? It's a ton of fun, man. Um, So last year, like you said, I was uh, an assistant, and the head coach was an interim head coach at the time. And it wasn't something where he wanted to take it over after he kind of was encouraging me to, to apply for it. And really last year, I guess, and last summer, um, I was still training to, to get a shot in the NFL. Like I had been bouncing around a little bit and still hoping that I'd get another call. So it wasn't really like I could jump in with both feet. And then after, uh, after this year kind of went by or this past year went by and didn't get many calls, you know, the chances get slimmer and slimmer of you getting another one. So um, that's when I was like, all right, I want to, I want to take this shot and and try to run the program because I had so much passion. The same way that I talk about uh, Virginia Tech football, I could talk to you guys about Hanover football. It was a program that I watched my brother start off with. Um, that was a new school that went from an 0 and 9 team to a re- 0 and 10 team to a regional championship team, um, and seeing that uh, progression and then seeing it tailor back off made me just really passionate about, man, I want to get back there and I want to get it back to where it was and exceed where it was before. So, um, and then, like you said, being around such great coaches, Coach Beamer, Coach Fuente, spending time with the Rams under Coach McVay. I got to be uh, with Sean McDermott for a couple weeks uh, with the Bills. And then I went to a mini camp with Mike Vrabel, right? So, like, I got to see all these guys, like, operate a, a team and – man, just building a culture and building community is what I love to do. And just getting a group of people to, to accomplish a mission together is something that I love. So doing that through the game that I love is really special. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something that I think 
it takes it takes maturity and it takes time to really understand that everything every opportunity is not always an opportunity that's going to come to fruition the way you want it to right so you go to these mini camps you're meeting these different coaches you're crossing paths with these different people and ultimately you're you're doing it to try to make the team but you're you're pulling all of these lessons you're pulling all of this information and kind of molding okay i learned all of this over here how am i going to apply it to whatever's next so i definitely think that's something that you know you definitely should do and, and comes with comes with maturity and something that uh, everyone should try to do regardless of what everything is a learning opportunity. It comes back to, it comes back to football as goofy as that sounds, but coach Fuente actually told me this. Um, Cause he asked me when I was playing, he was like, do you want to be a coach one day? I said, yeah, I think so. He said, I would have a notebook with you and start writing down everything. Like when, when you like something, when you see a play that you like anything, you start writing it down culture, start writing it down. So it's something that I still take to this day. Like, I look back at things that I wrote down with the Rams, wrote down with the Bill, like just, just again, forming a culture. Because, yes, you can have a bunch of individuals that are good players, but there's something to be said about taking individuals and making them a team, right? And we saw that at Virginia Tech, right? Our first, It's not like we'd had different athletes our first three years compared to our last year, right? Um, it was just the team aspect was different. So it's like, how do you get a group of people to connect and buy in? And that's something that um, I was definitely learning from all those guys uh, about, so – yeah. What are some of those things that you found that you wrote down from Coach Fu and some things that, you know, if you knew you were going to do it, would have written down from Coach Beamer as well that you've been able to translate over to Hanover? I mean, there's there's like small details of things that uh, you just take and you just copy. You know what I mean? Like the, the way that you approach off-season conditioning. I, I feel like sometimes I find myself saying similar things. Um, that's coach Fuente. So like if, if one of you guys came to listen to me talk in front of the team, you'd be like, all right, you're taking that from him. That's unfair. You know what I mean? But, um, specifically, um, the thing that I loved about coach Fuente, I've mentioned this earlier was the urgency and the passion that he came with every single day. Right. Like he approached it like he was coaching with a chip on his shoulder. And we believe that, he was, he was the captain of a ship and he was ready to take us. And we we're like, all right, let's jump on board. When someone approaches every single day, like that day in and day out, it makes you want to jump on board. So I got to take that same enthusiasm to whatever I'm doing, right? And, and including coaching. So I think that's a way that uh, people start jumping on board with you. But um, just all, all the things that he talks about, you know, the believe, prepare, play thing, right? I, I remember that uh, still to this day when he was talking about you know, you got to believe first, you got to prepare like hell to make sure you give yourself a chance to win. And then you got to go and play. And he, and he talked about like, you, you do not deserve to win. It doesn't matter about deserve, right? You still yeah. got to go out there and you got to perform and you got to go do your job. Um, and then just all the details, Billy, you know, I won't get into too much detail about this, but all the details of the preparation leading up to the game, as far as the video tests that we had to do and the intensity of that day before the no talking on those Fridays, like all that stuff leading up to getting your mind ready in a place to go be really successful. Those are things that I, I took specifically from coach Fuente. So Sam, you're a competitor. What is your vision for Hanover high school? And everybody likes to print championship on the back. Everybody likes to say, win a state title. Um, but as you kind of break this down and you're rebu rebuilding a program, what kind of program do you want to be? What do you want Hanover High School to become? And how are you going to ultimately get to the goal that everyone has, win a state championship? Yeah, for sure. And, and if state championship is the ultimate goal for coaching high school kids, then I think I've failed them. 
right? If state championship is the ultimate goal, if there was a mantra, and I'm being honest, if there was a mantra for Hanover football and the culture that I want to build, it's better husbands, better fathers, right? Because a lot of these kids are not going to go play football in college. They're just not. And very rarely will anyone go play in the NFL, right? But a lot of these kids are going to be husbands and fathers. So how do we use football as a way to teach them about how to be successful, not on, not just on the field, but off the field as well. And, and the whole idea of putting these kids in challenging circumstances to draw what's out of them. I tell them all the time, the reason why I'm hard on you is not because I don't like you. It's the opposite. It's because I care a ton about you. And I believe in order to, to draw something out of you, I got to put you in challenging circumstances. So um, if there was a mantra, if there was a motto for Hanover football, what I want it to be is better husbands and better fathers. And I think you learned that by learning to care beyond yourself. So that's the biggest thing. And I think when doing that, you'll see that you'll win some games too. And what is, as, as you kind of look at coaching in 2020 and being able to build that relationship from what was a distance, I'm not sure what the, what the laws are now. I know you guys are going to play spring football. How have you been able to continue to develop these kids as individuals and as football players from a distance with all the restrictions that you have now? Yeah, it made it tough, right? Like, so like in March, uh, we had to be away from each other for a long time. Uh, so at that moment, you have two options. You can sit around and complain, like, oh, what was me? First year head coach, I don't have a chance to build the culture. Or you can say, I'm going to build the culture anyway. We're going to get our staff together and we're going to build a culture. So then it started Hanover football online. And you start uh, having Zoom meetings and you start sending out workouts. And I split the team up. We have about 70 some kids in the team. And split the team up into six different groups. He's with the group leader and they're responsible for checking in with their group leader each day and showing they did their workout and just kind of building that accountability that way. And then beyond that, they have to know that I care about them. They have to know that I care about them. They have to know that I'm there for them beyond football. Right. So something that, um, that I, I wanted to do, I wanted to write all these kids uh, a personal letter and send it to them at home. So just writing 70 letters and saying like, Hey, I know this time is hard but I love you, care about you, let me know if you need anything. And then calling these kids weekly, whether they're doing the right thing or not, calling them weekly. Because um, to be honest with you, the quarantine doesn't hurt the kids like myself that grew up in, in stable homes and grew up with a, a mom and dad that were always there. It hurts the kids that the mom has to work and, and dad's not around. So it's like, how can I still be there for these kids knowing that the goal is better husbands, better fathers? How can I still be there for these kids um, and help them, give them a chance to be successful. Well, hats off to you, Sam, for doing, we all knew that you were going to do a fantastic job at that. And, um, you know, we're definitely pulling for you. Got to get myself a handover, uh, handover sweatshirt or something. Okay. Uh, and definitely got to get out and uh, check you guys out when you guys are back on the field and moving, uh, moving right along here, easy day training. Want to, want to talk a little bit about easy day training? Let the people know. Anyone looking to get in shape? I know Skinny Billy's a hashtag that we're batting around. How, uh, talk to me about easy training. Man, easy day uh, is, like you said, it's a, it's a training business that I started. So I'm running it through uh, this place called Sports Reality, which it is the perfect setup for a high school football coach. This is this indoor facility that is literally across the street from the high school uh, that I coach at. So I run a 5 a.m. class, and it's a high-intensity class. Um, and then we brought someone else on to run a 6 a.m. class. But uh, we have about 70 people through it. And the mission of uh, Easy Day is to build a community of people that go beyond themselves to encourage others. Again, one of my passions is building community and building groups and, and uh, striving towards a mission together. So 
having those guys come in there of all different walks of life, coming in there and working out together is so fun to be around. And on top of that, we have uh, an online community as well. We have about 25 people doing Easy Day online. So no matter where you are, you can join Easy Day. Something cool about Easy Day online, Billy, once a month we have, oh, it's called a family meeting. So we have a Zoom meeting, similar to how we're doing right now, except we have the whole online community there and bringing in guest speakers. If you're a Hokie fan, you're going to want to come on to this month's uh, this month's guest speaker and listen to him. So you might as well join Easy Day online for the month of October. But uh, where are we go? Where are we going? Where are we going? What's the link? What's the process? Man, you can uh, contact me uh, through Instagram at Easy Day Training. Uh, contact there and check out a new video that we just posted about. You kind of get a feel for the entire uh, entire program if you look at that video. But um, yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. If you have my number, call me, text me. There we go. Moving right along here. So this is the last question that uh, I have before we get into rapid fire. Sam, I'm fired up for rapid fire. I've been fired up for rapid fire with Sam Rogers all week. Um, But this team, Virginia Tech, this year, coaching through impossible circumstances. Coach Fuente, hard, smart, tough, grit, the togetherness of this group. What are you seeing? Are you getting a chance to watch? I've been blown away. Gosh, I love it. Uh, Me and my brother, like, always talk about some Hokie football together. And – we just love, you know, if you as a guy that's out of the room now, out of the locker room, of course you hear what everyone says, you know, like you hear all the bad talk. So to just see them come out and run the ball the way they're doing and, and play with the energy that they have, you know, there's so much hate coming on the team and the staff and everything like that. Um, I've gotten in a couple arguments with some used to be friends. Um, so to see them come out and just honestly dominate at the line of scrimmage the way they have, it's something awesome. I texted Coach Corn the other day. He thought it was funny. I said, man, you guys finally got a fast running back in the game. Took, took on <laughs> I kept recruiting. I kept giving the ball to these slow white guys. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I, I got to say, we, feedback there. We, have a, we have a word for the, fo- for, for the hate and cruise called the peanut gallery. The peanut gallery loves yeah. hopping on, you know, love couch quarterbacking. It's always fun. Um, but, yeah, it's just uh, it's a big reason I started this. It's like, look. Let's get some people from the program, bring them on the podcast, talk about it. Um, because on a serious note, I, it, it comes down to culture. And the culture that has built, been built in Blacksburg, even predating Coach Fuente and Coach Fuente picking that up and running with it, and then the strength and conditioning program picking it up and running with it, that's why we are where we are right now. There's no hiding in a situation like this. You've got 21, 23 guys out believe, prayer, prepare, play, finding a way, finding the next man up to handle and do their business. Uh, like our guy Matheny last week. What a story. Unbelievable. Um, just really, really, really awesome stuff. So um, yeah, couldn't, dude, be, uh, awesome. couldn't be happier for it. No doubt. So Sam, we're, we're going to roll into rapid fire here. I'm Brought fired up. By the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry, Sons of Smiling. Head on down there, Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry in Chesapeake, Virginia. Dr. John and Dr. Caitlin Cranham will hook you up with all of your teeth or toothery needs. I hear 50% off if you say Sons of Saturday. Tell them the Sons sent you. So, Sam, Sons of Snacking, a lot of snacking in quarantine. What is your favorite snack that you've been uh, indulging on over the past couple months here? Are we talking healthy or not healthy? Both. Both. Either one. Double stuff Oreo is not healthy. Gosh, <laughs> I love double stuff Oreos. Milk? No think, milk? 
I can go without milk, but like milk is a nice added bonus. But like if there's double stuff Oreos sitting there, I could go through an entire sleeve like pretty mm-hmm. easily. Um, I mean, for going healthy, I've act, I don't know if you ever tried this. It might sound weird, but if you put Greek yogurt, peanut butter, and some granola all mixed together, it's actually pretty delicious. I'm gonna have to try. I'm gonna I'm gonna give that a try. I'll jump in with both feet, like you say, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Just give it a shot. Um, what? are we watching in the Rogers house, Netflix, Hulu? What, what are we binge watching right now? What do we really like? Always the office as a base, just to know that. Like the still, office still, yeah. you've been, yeah, still, yeah. I, I, I do. I, I, I do have it. It's continuous. You're right. Um, but beyond that, Lauren gets me into these other shows because she is so sick of the office. Cause I make her watch it all the time. Uh, we just finished how to get away with murder, which was pretty intense. Um, and then she also, we had a deal when we first got married. If she would watch The Office with me, I would watch Grey's Anatomy with her. So we would do two Office episodes for one Grey's Anatomy. So we've kind of been rotating through those three. I'm glad you said The Office because it reminded me of something. If you could pick A or some teammates that remind you of a character on The Office, what would you say? Oh, gosh. Gosh, who would be Stanley? Like, that's what we got to think of, like, right away. Like who Stanley gives think? me Stanley gives me Kish vibes. If you mushed both Kishes together, <laughs> maybe you'd get maybe you'd get a Stanley. Maybe, maybe I mean, Stanley. No, it's kind of like isn't. I mean, is Stanley kind of like Braxton at all, or like do you think there's Stan, a little? Nah, Stanley is definitely Stan, Stanley is definitely like. I, feel like I love Braxton. I should just say oh, that. that was so. But it's neat. the it's the closest comparison I suppose you could make. And yeah. if we're making comparisons, Jack Click to Andy. Yeah, yes, that was what I said in the beginning. He can't stand that either. Jack hates when I say that he's close to Andy because everyone wants to be Jim. Yeah, everybody wants to be Jim. Come on, you can't be Jim. Jim. Like I'm not Jim. I know I'm not Jim. I'm not going to pretend to be Jim. You know? No, (sighs) I'm with you. I got you. Favorite place to go in Blacksburg? You're going home. You're hungry. Where you got? Where you stopping by to eat? (laughs) This is so sad. Chipotle. Come on, Sam. Dude. Top of the Sam. Top of the <laughs> All right. Well, you brought it up. So what is what is the Sam Rogers Chipotle order? And the only reason I, only reason I say Chipotle is because there's so many times, like after practice, I would just run to Chipotle real quick and go back and watch The Office, like after practice. That is that such was, not – that is such – I'm disappointed. That is such not a hard hat answer uh, is going with Chipotle. You get Chipotle anywhere. You go home to Blacksburg and you're like, I can't wait to get into Chipotle. That's what I said. Like I prefaced it by saying that. Like I Okay, okay. It's something that I remember. <laughs> oh, like, okay. Specifically. But if you really want to know my meal, this is a hard hat meal. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what is the hard hat meal? Okay, you get a bowl to go, tortilla on the side. You okay. get brown rice. I'd like some extra rice, please. Okay, I'll take black beans and vegetables. I'll get double chicken, mild corn cheese, guac, and lettuce, and then you got your meal. That was speedy. No, that was very speedy. That's a man who knows what he wants. I know exactly what I want there. But cobbler fish taco is awesome. I love the ginger shrimp tacos there. They're incredible. Um, that. Funny you mentioned that. That's been a hot topic on this podcast. Pat Finn, huge supporter of Cabo Fish Taco. Grayson Wimbish, very under on uh, on Cabo and me. I've very never. Bearish. I'm gonna be honest. I've never. I've never had Cabo Fish Taco. So maybe really? I've never had it. That's not a hard hat answer either. So no. you know, I, yeah, I gotta get. I got. That's that's not good. I gotta figure Billy, that I, out. Billy, a guy who eats as much as you but has never been to Cabo is just you know a bit of a surprise over here. 
Well, I'm, I mean, when you have your trough, you kind of just meander over to the trough and, you know, it's the well. You just go and you, and, you, and you eat as much as you can there. I mean, you know, so we talked about that. Why does it always come back to this? With Isaiah, it's me going to the buffet uh, dining hall and I'm fat and now it's like me troughing and I'm fat again. I mean, you, 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 you bring it on yourself. You know you do. You All right, well, Lauren's, I'm going <laughs> to... Lauren's favorite food, like if I asked this then, like what's your favorite thing to eat? She says a West End buffalo chicken wrap. That's still her favorite thing to eat. Wrap world, yeah. Rap world. Rap world is is the is the real deal. Rap yeah. world is the real deal. It's another hard hat answer. Lauren wearing a hard hat today. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite play from your Virginia Tech career? Uh, do I have to like like the actual play call? No, not like not like Spider Y two X Banana. I'm okay. saying like, what is your favorite I'm play that? that favorite play too. <laughs> I mean, what everyone probably thinks it is, the, uh, the play against Ohio State, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just that – was, that was awesome. That was a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to you know, make a little move on Eli Apple there, that was, that was a good time. There you go. Touchdown pass, not a close – is touchdown pass a close second? Yeah, very close second. Um, yeah, honestly, they're probably hand-in-hand. Hand. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're hand-in-hand. Hand. Throwing a touchdown pass to Stephen Peebles was incredible. Like, uh, yeah, that was awesome. Favorite flavor of wings? Uh, Carolina Gold at Sports Page in Ashland, Virginia. Ooh, a little local plug. I like that. little local plug. Okay. Okay, man of the people. Um, what is – so you're charged, and this one hits home. This one hits home, Sam. Okay. They come knocking at your door. Sam Rogers, we need, help. We need your help. The Washington football team can't win football games, but we need to rename the team. We need to rename the Washington football team. Oh, my gosh. And they ask you. They say, Sam, what are we going to be called? What do you name the Washington football team? um, I think the Red Wolves is the coolest one they have right now. Like, that's the the best one they have, I think. Um, Yeah, that's what I'd go with. You can keep similar schemes, you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah, I'd go Red Wolves. Okay. Okay. What was your favorite win at Virginia Tech? Favorite win. It's always fun beating Virginia, but I mean, like we beat them all the time. So let's not say that one. Um, (laughs) Let's go with Miami Thursday night, my senior year. That was, that was awesome. The sack fest. The sack fest. That was sack fest. Uh, Do you golf? I'm terrible, but yeah. (laughs) Who is in your dream foursome? Gosh, dream foursome. All right. Like this can be anyone. So that'd be like anyone. No. I mean, you gotta, you gotta golf with Tiger Woods, right? Like you have to mm-hmm. do that. Okay. Like definitely going to be a staple in there. Peyton Manning would be in there because he's absolutely hilarious. I would love to golf with Peyton Manning. Wait, you can't, you can't come in last. You got to throw someone in there. who didn't play golf. You're setting yourself up to, for, for a long day. Cause Peyton's good at golf. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I already know, but I'm going to lose either way in golf. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm trying to to win, then I'd go someone like – I mean, doesn't Charles Barkley suck at golf? Like, would I pick him? Like, isn't he Charles pretty? is pretty – Charles looks bad, yeah. yeah. His swing is bad. I'm not sure if he's actually bad, but his swing yeah. doesn't look fantastic. I mean, I definitely have Peyton Manning in there. He just looks like he would be so funny to be around. And honestly, mm-hmm. having Peyton Manning and Tom Brady together, like when they did that little special, it would be awesome. so funny to be a fly on the wall there. Uh, and listen to that. So that'd probably be my, my foursome. What are your thoughts on haiku poetry? <laughs> um, 
you know, it's good. I had to do one of those for my AMA on uh, on a key play when I did that a while ago. Why? What do you got? You're making a spot. I mean, if if you got one for us, no, I you... do not. I thought about <laughs> a really tough rapid fire question there. <laughs> Send us a haiku. We'll put it at the beginning before we uh, we do the pre roll for this episode. We can get you. Um, and then when concerts come back and concerts are a thing, who are your Mount Rushmore of artists that you can't wait to see again? Gosh, seeing Zach Brown Band live is incredible. I got fantastic. Like, you fantastic. Can't. Honestly, like people hate on this guy, but the best concert I've ever been to was Zach Brown Band opened up for Kenny Chesney. And Kenny Chesney has so many songs that like awesome. you just know and you're so going to sing along to no matter what. Mm-hmm. So uh, those would be a couple. Uh, but, How long ago was that where you had Zach Brown opening up for Kenny Chesney? It was sophomore year of college. It was at South Carolina. I went to go visit Lauren down in South Carolina. And uh, it, it was Eli Young Band. Sorry, let me tell you the oh. whole thing. Oh, it was man. Casey. It was Casey Musgraves first, pre-fame. Then Eli Young band, then Zach Brown band, then Kenny Chesney. That was the lineup. That's how a Mount Rushmore that? right there. Yeah. How do you beat that in, in the 21st century? I think that's a, that. I, you'd be hard pressed to find a better uh, a better group than that. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Wow. So Sam, we got uh, we got four letters from the lunch pail here, and then we will let you go, uh, let you roll. Letters from the lunch lunch pail brought to you by Sharky's Wing and Rib Joint, where good friends go. Billy, kick us off with the first letter from the pail. Preston Chrisman at VT Bass Fisher asks: Are you texting Coach Cornelson every day to call the pop pass? If not, why? <laughs> <laughs> Um, man, I would love for him to run that, but I, I feel like he's like saving that because like that was my thing. So he's probably just trying to pull it back out. I think it's out of respect. Okay. Okay. It's retired. Yeah. Why is that retired unless we really need it? Okay. Right. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Uh, Grant Watson, which game was more fun? 2016 at Carolina in the hurricane or 2016 Thursday night game against Miami? Yeah, I feel like I already answered that Miami, but that hurricane game, again, another one of those games where we came out and walloped on uh, on UNC, which was which was awesome. At Suffolkian says, was there a particular player that you absolutely loved to hit? Oh, gosh, I absolutely loved to hit. Man, honestly, Denzel Perryman from Miami, just because it was an awesome challenge. Like, that dude was a beast. Um so that was always I was always jacked up and ready to go against him. And then yeah. last one here from Cody Morton. How long did it take Sam Rogers to convince Coach Fuente to let him throw a pass? He I heard this podcast when I sent you this question. He, he most certainly back on it a little bit. He most certainly <laughs> did say that. By the way, <laughs> um, I, can't, I saw it recently, and maybe it was an email. From Coach Cornelson, when I, again, I was asking them about the playbook like the day after the game, trying to figure out the, the new offense coming in. But he said, I did have, Coach Cornelson said this. He said, I did have a running back pass in the playbook. I might need to take that out. And then, like, one of the first days of all season training, when Coach Fuente uh, was talking to us, he came up to me and said, Yeah, you're never throwing a pass for me. Like, I was like, Okay, we'll see about that. Challenge uh, accepted. Yeah, challenge accepted. And I would make sure, like, when we're, like, just messing around before practice, standing near him, just throwing the ball, making sure he knew that I had it. <laughs> but, uh, no, honestly, I was so excited that we finally connected on that because my freshman year, I got to throw a pass to Logan Thomas, underthrow him a little bit, and his knee goes down. 
it's literally I'm, I was one for one for nine yards. What a UVA. poor trick play statistic, you know, mm-hmm. zero touchdowns. Then in, in the uh, well, in the Independence Bowl, I threw a pass. Ball slips out of my hands. I throw the worst duck ever, like two yards down the field. And that's the one that the coaches saw. So they were like, never going to throw a pass. And then we connect to my man, Stephen Peoples. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Love that. Well, Sam, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, we always end our podcasts with, uh, with shout outs, but you set the table for a great question. Um, Sam Rogers, you're always setting goals. You're always striving for something greater. What are, what are you looking towards now? What is the next goal for Sam Rogers here? Next goal, man, I think it's what I said before, continue to build community where I'm at, wherever I'm called to be. You know, I feel like God's put me in this position um, where I get to be around a bunch of different people. It's crazy. I was praying out in uh, California for God to give me a platform where I could speak into people's lives. And I didn't realize that the way he was going to do that was by getting me released from the Rams, the thing that I thought I always wanted. I probably had three or four people that I was speaking into out in California. Now I probably have... 150, including the team and through easy day that I actually have a voice in their lives. So my goal right now is to continue to build community and and encourage people and let them know that they're known and they're loved. And uh, yeah, that's my goal right now. Sam Rogers, you're one of a kind, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, Wishing you the best of luck. And as we ended every single episode, shout outs, this is your moment. Shout out whatever you got to shout out and take us home. Shout out people or Easy Day Training again, because Easy Day Training is a great community (laughs) to be a part of. Uh, The mission of Easy Day Training is to build a community of people (laughs) that go beyond themselves to encourage others. So that is an awesome uh, opportunity for you guys wherever you are. Uh, And then obviously shout out the lovely lovely wife, Lauren Rogers. Uh, She's the best um, in all of Hokie Nation. We love you. Sam, predictions this weekend? Got one? Oh, yeah, we're going to win by a lot. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for the time, Sam. We'll connect soon. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks, Sam. What's up, sons and daughters of Hokie Nation? This is the Locks of Saturday. We are here with week six. We're coming to you off of a crazy week of college football. We saw a whole lot. We saw some ACC upsets. We saw some close calls, and we saw some big-time blowouts down south. I'm here with my boys. We got Brett, Ed. Chris, Robert Irby, the man on the honeymoon, and Mike McDaniel and Ryan Hartman with our props and over-under bets. Guys, a lot to get to. We have some really good games. This is probably the most consequential and top-end heavy week that we've had in college football this year. Um, Only one team out of the 10 that we are talking about tonight is not ranked in the top 25, and it's a little old program in middle America called Oklahoma. So uh, a lot to get to, a lot of really good players, really good coaches, really great rivalries. And we're going to start out with one of the best rivalries in college sports. We're going down to the Cotton Bowl, to the Texas State Fair. Texas is plus two and a half against the Oklahoma Sooners. Brett, what do you got for this game? What do you have for the Red River Shootout? This is one of my favorite games of the year, it really is. I love watching this game. It's, you know, extremely historic. And it's always a shootout. Um, but like I said in the article, I love Oklahoma. I love Lincoln Riley. I've loved what they've done with the program. I like Stoops too, but I don't know. Lincoln Riley just brings kind of a younger, cooler vibe to Oklahoma that I've always really gotten around. But he doesn't have a Kyler Murray or a Baker Mayfield or 
or Jalen Hurts this year, and it's really obvious. Um, they're really struggling the quarterback position with Rattler. Um, while on the other side of the ball, Texas has Ellinger, and he is really doing a lot better than Rattler. So they're the I think Texas is the one of the highest scoring offenses in the country against a young and average defense. So that could spell a lot of trouble for the Sooners. Um, I'm surprised the spread is actually it's pretty close. Uh, I think it is a toss up, but um, just watching Rattler play against Iowa State and Kansas State, they get two average teams. Iowa State's in the top 25, but I thought Oklahoma would definitely handle them, and then they obviously got embarrassed by Kansas State somehow. So I think Texas is going to get the nod here, but two and a half. What it is? Both states take. Yeah, Chris, you got Texas too. Um, what do you, What do you think for the Longhorns? Literally, this game. I mean, in a shootout, it comes down to the better quarterback. Just in my personal opinion, a, a, a two and a half point spread favoring Oklahoma is essentially a pick 'em in this instance. So essentially, you're just trying to pick the better team and basically who's going to score last. So there really is no rhyme or reason to it. It's just as long as this game keeps going a minute, the next team's going to score. So um, I, I think you're seeing that, you know, we just all penciled in Spencer Rattler, the starting quarterback for Oklahoma uh, to be kind of the next up and coming Heisman candidate potential in that Lincoln rally offense. And I think you're just seeing that, you know, he's essentially a red shirt freshman coming in playing in this offense. And prior to this, he's uh, Riley's always had somewhat of an experienced transfer or more experienced quarterback at the helm. And that's been the difference, you know, we're finally going to see somebody kind of going through a little bit of growing pains while still putting up insane numbers, but going through the growing pains and the Lincoln Riley offense. And it all boils down to Sam Ellinger is just the more experienced, more stable quarterback in this matchup. And I just think that they're going to have that maturity on that side of the ball in comparison and end up pulling this game out. Irby, you're the other guy throwing up the horns for this one. Uh, what do you think is going to happen down outside Dallas, Texas? Yeah, I think it's interesting when you look at Ellinger, um, his career, I mean, seems like he's been there forever and he's kind of like Kenny Pickett in a way for me, where it's just like, we've been talking about this dude forever and I'm really not sure why, um, cause he's not that good. Um, but I do think Ellinger definitely has the edge of a rattler here, but I think the real reason why I, um, am picking Texas in this matchup is I think there's just more urgency. Um, I mean, Tom Herman, hot he's on the hottest seat in college football and i mean when you're playing in the red river rivalry um you don't see an unranked oklahoma often um and i think that if he can't pull it out this week and if texas can't pull it out this week i don't think he's employed by tuesday um and so i mean i i think stakes are so high here for texas and for tom herman that just the desperation of it all i just think they they'll want it more. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, you got two coaches who definitely are high aspiration guys. They're younger coaches, Tom Herman. It seems like he, in order for Texas to be back in my mind is national title contender. They haven't really done that a lot outside of, um, you know, the later Mac Brown years, of course, you know, the Vince Young national championship team, uh, Colt McCoy got them to a national title game as well. So, you know, it's obviously all the potential is there. They have more potential than anyone else. So he probably has the toughest job in college football in terms of expectations. And I think that that's kind of been weighing on him. It's been weighing on this program for the past few years. Um, let's see uh, who else we got. 
Uh, yeah, Mike, why don't, you, why don't you throw us in there? Uh, you have Texas plus two and a half as well. I do, yeah. And you guys really hit on it. The, the story for me, and I, I think, Chris, you kind of came closest to my explanation. Um, having Sam Ellinger, I mean, it's essentially a pick em. And he's been the better quarterback out of the two. Spencer Rattler turning the football over. It seems like, you know, he's got really high-end talent around him. And he's a guy who has a really high ceiling, clearly. He can make all the throws. He's really athletic. The issue that I've had with him, though, is the turnovers. And it seems like through the first few games of the year, especially in the couple losses they've had, you know, he's turned the ball over at some really inopportune times. And I think, you know, Texas is a really desperate team right now. Tom Herman arguably could be fighting for his job just the way that Texas is, right? If they're not competing for national championships, they're not truly back, like you mentioned, Sam. And they have such a demanding booster department there at Texas. And a lot of people with a lot of money that don't mind paying a huge buyout to get rid of the guy who's not performing. So there's a lot of pressure on Tom Herman this year, even in a COVID environment. He's got to have this game. And Sam Ellinger, in my opinion, is a better quarterback than Spencer Rattler. So I think that's why they get it done here. Guys, I'm going a little against the grain here because everything kind of points to Texas. But if you look at who Texas have played, they have the worst record strength according to Sharp Football Analytics. And I'm going to use a lot of advanced analytics this week, by the way, everybody, of any undefeated team. Um, for the first two games, they have the 85th ranked schedule in college football. Oklahoma actually has the 14th. Uh, I think Oklahoma has played much better competition than what we give them credit for. I mean, Kansas State, they're a team that played pretty well last year. And although they didn't look great to start the season, um, you know, they still they have some guys. And Oklahoma struggled with that team. I don't think Spencer Rattler is to the level that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and um, you know those guys were, even Jalen Hurts. I, I don't think he's there yet. I agree with that. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a total shootout. I mean, the over-under is at 72. And I, I think an over is like a very safe play there. We'll get to the over-unders. But, I, I mean, this game, both teams could score in the 40. Who has the ball last? I'm so excited. I'm actually a little upset that this is the noon game and tech UNC is the noon game as well. Because again, this is one of my favorite traditions in college football. It's one of my bucket list dreams to go there. And so the Texas state fair. Um, but I, as you guys can see, I got my Oklahoma Jersey on tonight. Boomer sooner. Um, I, I'm going with them. It's a, again, it's a, it's a pick em game and that's how it should be. The red river shootout should be a pick em game with, no defense. If you want to know out of the 74 teams that are playing college football right now, Oklahoma is number 72 and Texas is number 73 in tackling efficiency. Love it. Oh, I love it. It's going to be, that's going to be a fun one. Um, if the tech UNC game starts going poorly, you can always switch it over the, to the Texas OU game. Don't worry about it, guys. All right. Well, we're going to move on to another game in the state of Texas. We have Florida going to Kyle Field at Texas A&M as six-and-a-half-point favorites. Brett, uh, you got the Gators in this one. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> but uh, oh, I'm going chomp-chomp here. This is my this is my lock for the week. I don't know why this spread's not bigger. Texas A&M looked out of sorts last week against Alabama. Granted, Alabama outmatched them on every aspect of the field, but I thought Jimbo Fisher would have the team more, the team more ready than that. Uh, Florida, Dan Mullins got them looking. I mean, they look really good. Two Kyles playing against playing with each other. I mean, they have that link going on really well. I mean, it's really scary. So um, I think Florida's going to get this. 
pretty easily by touchdown. So this is my lock for the week. Yeah, scrolling through it, it looks like we all have Florida minus six and a half, and this spread seems super low. I mean, for for what Florida's looked like, uh, they have two Heisman caliber guys. Uh, Kyle Pitts for Heisman is my dream. Like, I want to – 2020 should have a tight end winning Heisman. And I I think if he keeps up what he's doing, he can get some serious traction. This is going to be a game with a lot of eyeballs on it, especially from Heisman voters. And I I think Florida, who's been – dynamite on offense and then you look at texas a&m they've been averaging 21 points um which includes the game against vanderbilt i i think florida is going to outscore them big time and again the kyle pitts for heisman train i'm hopping on it because i i'm just so excited to watch this florida team for the rest of the year like i think they could be the challenger to alabama and georgia this year when everyone was expecting that rematch this Florida team looks really good. And it's going to be probably the nastiest defense that Texas A&M has played. I mean, I know they played Bama. Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, Bama's, Bama's Alabama. Like, we put that in the article. They're still Alabama, no matter who's a quarterback, no matter what's going on. Um, but this is going to be a really tough test for Texas A&M. And, Irby, I'll shoot it over to you. You talked about Herman being on the hot seat. Jimbo Fisher is getting paid, you know, the GDP of a small Eastern European nation to coach at Texas A&M and uh, pretty mediocre. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, Jimbo on the hot seat, I honestly, I, that's not really something that had really crossed my mind, but I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, like Texas with their boosters. I mean, Texas A&M is right there in line with them. Um, you know, with the, the fat pile of money that they threw at him to um, pull him away from Florida state. I feel like they'd give him a little more time, but I mean, yeah, it really hasn't been going well for him at A&M. And I mean, this, this A&M offense is not good. Um, Kellen Mond, I mean, it's just, it's hard to watch sometimes. And um, you know, I mean, he even got benched last week. Um, I, I just don't think they'll put up near enough points to keep up with Florida, who's averaging almost 45 points a game in their first two games so far, which is um, one of the best in the country, if not the best. I don't know off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, I think Gators huge here by, like, three or four touchdowns. Yeah, Chris, uh, what do you got in here? I know you mentioned that, you know, the Aggies have some good barbecue brisket down there, and that's about all they have going for them right now. Nah, listen, um, over the last, I would say, like decade, we've just come to know Florida to just be more of a defensive team with just struggling on offense. Well, guess what? Now they have the fourth best scoring offense and one of the best offenses in the nation. Like you mentioned, two potential Heisman Trophy uh, candidates on the same side of the ball. You know, this is a complete Florida team. Um and just kind of looking at how they perform as an away favorite, because being an away favorite in the SEC is a pretty tough thing to pull off. Uh, six and one against the spread, 16.4 average scoring margin of victory in that. So they not only go on the road as a favorite, but they go on the road and they get things done. Um, and that's previously without this offense in place. So now they travel to TAMU, and I'm sorry, I don't see it. You mentioned the hot seat. I, I, Texas A&M is one of the most overrated programs in college football. 
they spend over $220 million completely on just sports revenue alone, of which college football makes up a massive proportion of that. And Jimbo Fisher is literally robbing them blind as we all speak. He rode one magical season with uh, um, the Florida State and then left town, grabbed more money, and Texas A&M has just completely been mediocre for, uh, it, it seems like he's been with Texas A&M for about the past four or five years, and I don't think he's eclipsed nine, eight wins uh, at least once during that entire time. Um, so I just don't think that uh, it's going to all of a sudden magically turn against this Florida team. Uh, I, I did want to point out as a home underdog, they're three and seven. So they've been constantly placed as an underdog at home. They're in the SEC West. That's reality uh, in which they also have worse track records. Also just facing ranked opponents and in this game, guess what? They're all of those combined. They're facing a superior opponent at home. We talked about his buyout. I think the GoFundMe campaign starts on Saturday night, right after this game commences. So uh, Jimbo Fisher is probably not going to last that much longer in, in uh, college station. Yeah, Mike, Ed, any thoughts from you two? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that stood out to me when I was kind of taking notes and trying to figure out who to pick here, because Florida just seemed like such an obvious pick. It was only further validated when I saw that Texas A&M's defense is 71st out of the 74 FBS teams that have played this year in passing efficiency defense. And short of like Alabama and what I've seen out of Clemson in like six quarters, essentially, of Trevor Lawrence, there's no better passing offense in the country right now than what we're seeing in Florida with Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts. This is such an easy slam dunk pick for me. The only reason why I don't think the spread is higher is because Florida is on the road in this game. But in this 2020 year where it doesn't really matter as much if you go on the road, I think the spread should be two or three points higher than it is. I think Florida is the lock of the week. It's one of my favorite picks on the entire board. I mean, even if you consider that three-point swing for the home team, nine and a half is small for this one. I'd still be taking Florida. I, I yeah. really would. I just think their offense is too good, and the, and the strength of their team is throwing the football. And Texas A&M, I get that they played Bama, and that skews it a little bit from a passing defense standpoint, but they haven't looked good, guys. And Florida's offense is on fire, and it's just really hard to pick against them right now with how good they've looked. Ed, round us out. Yeah, while we were just sitting here, while Mike was talking, I went out and put my bidder on Florida six and a half, so that tells you how I have to say. <laughs> We love it. We love it. I mean, yeah, that's that's on my card this week, too. I think it's on a lot of people's cards. And, um, you know, I think Vegas is is giving you a gift. They are giving you a gift, wrapping a nice little bow from Hallmark on it and putting it under your Christmas. I do want to respond to what Chris had to say in his piece about uh, Texas A&M brisket. They also have Buzz Williams, so we can talk about that, too, if we want. Sore yeah. subjects. We were yeah. talking uh, – not too Talking soon, tech I love basketball before we hit record on this one. And uh, uh, yeah, yo, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that shapes out there. Um, definitely plenty of uh, spending money for, for Coach Williams down there. I got plenty of money yeah. down there. Yeah, well, you know, before we move on to some other games, we got some over-unders for you. We've hit a couple games that looking really good for points. And so we're going to swing it over to Ryan Hartman. Ryan, hit us with some over-unders, man. So let's get into this week point total style. Over-unders are slowly becoming my favorite thing to bet this year. For those keeping score at home, I am 3-0 after my inaugural appearance on the locks of Saturday last week. 
not trying to boast, just trying to help you out. I think I, I was confident last week. I think I'm just as confident this week in these three games that I'll that I'll give to you, Chris the Bear Felica style. I, I will say the only thing that I'm a little bit hesitant about is that I'm going against a mantra that I typically hold, and that's betting SEC unders. When you think SEC football, you think of big offensive lines, run the ball down the gullet, don't give up a lot of yards in the air. I think these two games that I'll talk about are screaming a different narrative to me. And I'll, I'll start with the first one that I feel, and that's over 57 and a half, Texas A&M, Florida. I believe this game actually is now up to 58 on some books. So get in early. When you hear this, if you haven't already, hit this one, take this one to the bank. This is probably my most confident one I am on this week. Over 57.5, Texas A&M, Florida. A&M's first game against Vandy was an anomaly to me. They put up 17 points in a lackluster win. You know, can you call it a bounce back last week with 24 against Bama? I don't know what kind of metrics we are are able to measure this A&M team on right now, but I do think they can score. I think Kellen Mond is, is more than a competent quarterback and should be able to sling it around on this Florida defense that also hasn't shown me much um, at this point in the season against USC and Ole Miss. On the other side of the ball with Florida, however, their offense looks elite. Trask, Pitts, that combo, that one-two punch is, is really lethal, and I think they take advantage of this A&M, uh, this A&M defense that Alabama did last week as well. This just screams like a, an air raid. Let's throw it. Let's let's take advantage of the other secondary. I, I think this one, this one could be in the high sixties. I don't necessarily get this line. This is my favorite one of the week. Over fifty-seven and a half. Texas A&M, Florida. Next one, I'm gonna go with under fifty-two in FSU and Notre Dame. So, Jordan Travis, a, a transfer from Louisville, came in and, and resuscitated Florida State a little bit last week against Jacksonville State. Yes, they, they needed resuscitation against Jacksonville State. I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but they looked horrible. They've looked horrible all year, and Jordan Travis came in and made them look, you know, formidable is not the word, but, um, you know, a, a decent enough to decent enough to compete. Um, but I, I do think that they are not going to have that much success against a, a Notre Dame defense. Notre Dame hasn't played in almost three weeks. Um, it's going to be, they're going to have a little rust on the offensive side of the ball to me. I do think Jordan Travis is, is an upgrade maybe, but looking at some of the tape last week, he, he just chucks balls up and they flutter a little bit. And 35% of his passes last week went for over 20 yards down the field. So he, he's throwing the ball up and hoping his athletic receivers make plays. And they were able to last week against Jacksonville State, a far cry from what they're going to see this week against Notre Dame's defensive backs. I think a few of those balls that he throws deep turn into turn into punts, you know, essentially punts that, that are picked off by Notre Dame. I think um, those those are going to be the difference. And I think this game... Notre Dame comes out a little bit sluggish as well, just ha- not having played and not seeing game time for a while due to the due to their issues and Wake due to their game against Wake Forest being postponed. I'm taking the under in a game where I think this is a bad FSU offense and a rusty Notre Dame team. I think this is going to be under 52. The last one, as I mentioned earlier, is going against my mantra of SEC unders. 
I'm going over 57.5, exact same point total as, as the uh, Florida and Texas A&M game. I'm going over 57.5 in the Mississippi State-Kentucky game. I'm big on Terry Wilson. I, I was, uh, you know, from the beginning of the season, the Kentucky quarterback who came in pretty confident this year. I thought he would be better. I think he's due for a breakout. I'm not going to hop off that. I'm not going to hop off that hype train just yet, Terry Wilson. I think he's due for a breakout game, and I think this might be it against Mississippi State. I think Kentucky scores. Kentucky can score if if he is playing like I think he can. And I think really, again, last week I said the name you needed to know in and over it was Lane Kiffin. I think this week that name is Mike Leach. Last week they lost to Arkansas, and they, they looked very lackluster, but I think it's a wake-up call. I think that's a wake-up call for them, and they come in against Kentucky, rearing, ready to go. K.J. Costello looked outrageously good in game one and took a big step back last week, but I think he exposes the Kentucky, the Kentucky secondary here, and point total goes over here too. Again, I'm going against my mantra. I'm going against the SEC under mantra, but both of these games feel like run and gun and point totals, touchdowns at the Waz. I think, you know, again, Mike Leach in this one leads this Mississippi State team to a massive point total. Don't overthink it. Let's hit it. Um, really happy to to go 3-0 and last week and, and hoping to keep it going. Like I said, trust the system. Let's take it to the bank. Over-unders. Let's go 6-0. and Thanks, guys. All right, so let's head back down to Georgia. We have Tennessee plus 12 and a half playing against the Georgia Bulldogs battle of the live dog mascots. We didn't talk about Revlay for Texas A&M, but we have Uga 10 and Smokey 10 here in this ball game. Uh, this is, this is an interesting one. I mean, Tennessee is, always gets a lot of hype, but it seems like this year they, they might be starting to actually put it together. Ed, you have the volunteers plus 12 and a half. Uh, what's your rationale behind that one? Yeah, I feel like Tennessee is still not getting a lot of credit. They had a really good building year last year, and they started off pretty well this year as well. They've been recruiting really well. Um, they took an offensive lineman from Georgia through the transfer portal. But the, the thing that stuck out to me when I was you know looking back on last week and the Georgia-Auburn game was Georgia obviously came out and smacked Auburn right off the bat, and it was pretty much over from there. Georgia never – or Auburn never really recovered. But if you look at it – in the second half, Auburn's defense figured something out because the Bulldogs had nothing in the second half. Um, and I just think Tennessee will be able to, you know, build off of whatever Auburn figured out and slow down Stetson Bennett enough to keep them within that 12-and-a-half point spread. Um, so that's that's kind of what what I found when looking at this one. I just I just don't trust a Stetson Bennett-led offense um, quite yet. So we'll see. But I could get bitten in the butt for this one, but I think Tennessee can at the very least cover 12-and-a-half. Chris, you're on Rocky Top too. What are you thinking? So I fully agree with Ed that Tennessee has been sneaky good improving over the last two years. I think what Jeremy Pruitt has actually brought into that program is stability and somewhat of uh, a little bit of an edge coming back to it. Just basically they've been kind of a punching line, obviously, through the almost revolving door for coaches the last 10 years since Phil Former was kind of pushed for a uh, pushed aside in, in Knoxville. So it, it's good to see that all of a sudden Rocky top has a little bit of life to it because it, it's good for sec on the Eastern side of the division for having 
uh, volunteers good at football again and join in Georgia and, and uh, Florida back up at the top of the SEC. So it's, it's good to see that. So I just wanted to point out that, you know, as an away underdog under Jeremy Pruitt, they're six and two against the spread. So they're sneaky good against the spread. Um, and they're, Georgia is just coming off of a big win versus Auburn and they play Alabama next week. So I think this is like a classic trap game. They're at home. They're a 12 and a half point favorite. They might be looking a little bit past Tennessee because they just don't think they're there yet. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the fourth quarter and you're battling just to try to pull the game out. So not only do I think Tennessee will cover this, I think you have a potential upset here as well. So I would definitely roll with Rocky Top. Look at the money line if you're thinking about it. You know, it, it can't hurt. And I think you'll get favorable odds. Got a money line pick. For Tennessee, I love it. I love it. Well, I don't love it. I picked Georgia, but uh, Brett, you picked Georgia with me as well. What are you thinking for this one? Yeah, I know there's a lot of concern around Georgia, especially after that Arkansas game. They look, you know, they look slow, but I knew they would get up for a big game last week. As you know, they do play Bama next week, but I don't think Kirby Smart's going to let them obviously skip this game over just for Alabama as Kirby Smart used to be at Alabama with Nick Saban. So I think they're going to be ready for this week. I think they're going to come out and just, I don't think they're going to steamroll them, but I think they're going to wear them down towards the end of the game. The UGA has one of the best uh, defensive lines in the country. And I think they're going to force some turnovers, um, especially towards the end of the game. And it's another big three thirty matchup. So it's going to be another big win. Yeah. You talk about that Georgia defense, Georgia, uh, according to sharp college football, uh, beta rank advanced analytics, uh, their defensive rank, which takes into account drive efficiency, uh, play efficiency, offense, uh, opponent explosiveness. So basically plays of over 15 to 20 yards, depending on how you want to look at it and causing negative plays. They have the number one defense in the country advanced wise. I mean, they are stout. They are nasty. And I think it's going to be just such a challenge for Tennessee to score like 10, 17 points in this game. I mean, I mean, Georgia looks really filthy. And besides that, for a little bit more advanced analytics, Uga the 10th, the live Bulldog mascot for Uga, has a 79% winning percentage. That's a 56 and 15 record. Smokey the 10, only at 54%, a 49 and 41 record. Uh, give me, you know, give me that defensive Bulldog sitting in front of that doghouse all day long um yeah give me georgia minus 12 i feel pretty good about this one too i think georgia uh they have it you know as a program they always seem to have that it factor they have this this level of swagger this level of speed and power that only the elite elite teams only clemson alabama ohio state have this to them and i think georgia um is up there in that upper echelon of teams that have that you know that swagger to them. And, and I don't think Tennessee's at that level. Georgia's covered the spread pretty handily the last three times they've played. Make it for Georgia minus 12 and a half. Mike, you disagree with me and you don't want to bet for Ugga. Why? <laughs> I, I do disagree with you, but this is one of those games I could see going a couple of different ways. Um, this is one of those lines this weekend I don't have a whole lot of confidence in, even though I do pick Tennessee to cover here. Georgia's defense looked outstanding last weekend against Auburn, but Bo Nix has also looked shaky um, on offense at quarterback for the Tigers. 
I wonder about Stetson Bennett a little bit, right? I think Georgia's got a really good running game. Again, it seems like they have that every year. The defense is outstanding, no doubt about it. But Stetson Bennett, he made some throws to some wide open guys in that game. They got loose in the secondary, especially in the first half. But in the second half, it was a totally different ball game. I mean, Stetson Bennett was bottled up. He was pressured. He didn't look great throwing the ball. I wonder if Tennessee takes some of that film that they saw out of Auburn's defense in the second half of that game and uses that to their advantage. I think Jared Garantano can make enough throws, and he's athletic enough, I think, to make this game interesting. I think it's low scoring. I think Tennessee keeps it within the margin here. I think Georgia wins. They're the better team, and I think it sets up for a huge matchup, obviously, a week from now. But I think this is a game that Tennessee can definitely cover and ugly up a little bit especially with this look-ahead spot for Georgia. I, I really have trouble looking past that just because it's such a huge game next Saturday for them. So um, give me Tennessee to cover here, and I'm really interested to see how Stetson Bennett plays coming off of the game that he had last week against Auburn, especially in the first half. Uh, Irby, did we did we hit on you with this one? I don't think we've, we've gotten your take on this. You have uh, Georgia minus 12 and a half as well. We're pretty split on, on this one as a – as uh, the locks of Saturday, but it's a, it's a tough game. Yeah. Um, well, my rationale, I think for picking Georgia here is less about Georgia, but to me, it's about Tennessee. Um, and I, I really do agree with you guys um, about Pruitt. I think that this Tennessee program is absolutely heading in the right direction. And if you're a Tennessee fan, you have a lot to be excited about. Um, I just, I just think it's way too early to, um, expect them to hang around with a top five opponent like this. Um, you know, Tennessee's got this eight game winning streak that, you know, everyone in the media has been hyping up quite a bit. Um, but I mean, those wins are over South Carolina twice, Missouri twice, UAB, Vanderbilt, Indiana. And then their best win is probably Kentucky last year. Um, you know, I mean, they just haven't gone out there and proven anything yet. I mean, last year, Georgia beat them by 29. Um, you know, Guarantano, I think he still has a lot to prove to me in the passing game. Um, he's managed to avoid throwing any picks this year, but last year he was a turnover machine, um, especially under pressure. And I think Georgia is going to put a lot of pressure in that backfield. Um, and I think it'll be pretty ugly for Tennessee. I think they'll just really struggle to put points on the board. Um, and Bennett will hit a few of those wide open receivers that uh, Mike was talking about. And I could see Georgia winning this, um, you know, like 24, three, something like that. Yeah. I think it's, it's going to be tough uh, for Tennessee and and talk about quarterbacks that have been around forever. Uh, Gorantano has been at Tennessee for like eight years now. Uh, It feels like forever. And, you know, it feels like forever that Tennessee has been back and, we're still here taking double-digit spreads with them. And another program that always seems to be back, guys, Miami. They've looked really good this year, but are two touchdown underdogs going to the uh, defending ACC champs um, in perennial college football power, the Clemson Tigers. Uh, I'll start off with this one, and I have Clemson minus 14. And, you know, I've said this before, I, I really think Miami's a – a good football team this year. I, I don't think they're fluff. Um, they're they're better on the offensive and defensive line than they usually are, um, especially rushing the pass for the defensive ends. Uh, I think they 
for what they lack in weapons on the outside, I think they make up for with a stable of running backs and obviously Derek King, who is a, um, you know, he's a glorified slot receiver. You know, he's Percy Harvin playing quarterback. Um, and I think that's going to work against a lot of teams in the country, but I don't think it's going to work against Clemson. Um, you have athletes on the other side of the ball that are going to be able to match Derek King. They're going to be able to match Miami's running backs. They're going to eat that offensive line who went from really bad to mediocre. They're going to eat that alive. Uh, they're going to just be subbing in five-star recruit after five-star recruit. And I think this is going to be a three to four touchdown game. Uh, I really just don't think Miami can show up for this one. Um, and I think that happens in the second half where you see Miami try to press, throw the ball more. Clemson is going to take control. Uh, we haven't seen Trevor Lawrence for four quarters. And uh, we don't really know what this Clemson team is, is capable of this season yet. Um, and, you know, going a little bit into, you know, the advanced stats again, um, if you look for the line at this game via advanced stats from Sharp College Football Analytics, the line is at 21.95 in favor of Clemson. And Vegas has it at 14. So you're basically getting an entire touchdown here if, if you look at the numbers. I, I think it's just a great value pick. I got the Tigers in Death Valley. Um, you know, who, who's who's for Miami? Chris, I know you're for Miami in this one. I will tote to you this entire season just because I'll start real quick first with just Clemson in general. And so the kind of the angle that I saw in this game was just that against ranked team. So again, it's not just their ACC slate because you can't put conference record in this game because they've just dominated ACC play for as long as Dabo has really gotten that program up and running in the early 2010s. And Miami has not been a factor during that entire time frame until now when we finally get to what I saw as the difference maker, which is Miami needed somebody to kind of ignite fuel the program up a little bit. So if you look back at the last three games, the one difference that I've seen is they faced a little bit of adversity coming out in the first game, a little second game, they went out and played a big game on the road. And then now they come in and play the biggest game that they probably played in like the last, I would say decade, probably. Um, and with that, now you have this dual threat, talented quarterback that actually provides that extra swag on the offensive side of the ball, not just defense anymore. They can, keep plays going. They don't have to bank as much on having uh, some deficiencies on the offensive line. He covers a lot of the inefficiencies that they've always had on offense for the last few years, almost like what Bryce Perkins was for UVA, but on steroids here because of the athletes that are surrounding him in Miami. Uh, on the other side of the coin, against those ranked opponents, Clemson you know, hasn't necessarily been dominating. They have a 4.1 point margin of victory as favorites uh, against ranked opponents. So the question here was, is just Miami a top ranked opponent? Are they, are they overrated or are they underrated? I think this year that they're underrated. I saw 14 points and I thought that Miami could definitely cover that. You know, I'm not picking them like I did uh, possibly for Tennessee on the money line here. I do think Clemson carries uh, the, the W at the end of the day, but I just think, you know, this one even has potential for maybe a late cover, one of those garbage time type uh, touchdowns where they end up losing by like 13 at the end of the game. Um, but I do think that the Miami will show up for this game and not just going to get blown off the field like people assume so. So uh, I would say that 
they will carry themselves well. People will get the perception that the DU is back. They'll give Clemson a good game, but Clemson ultimately pulls out the victory. Yeah, Mike, you've been hyping up Clemson a bit too. Uh, you said that this might be the only game that they lose all year after after getting past Louisville. Um, you know, they have some tough games left, but they definitely look for real. Um, but you you still have Clemson minus fourteen. Is Trevor Lawrence just – is he just too much? Yeah, I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence is too much. I think Travis Etienne's too much. I do think Miami's good. Like, I'm I'm with you guys. I think Miami's a good team. Um, I mean, Sam, you hit it on the head. Like, the offensive line has played a lot better than I expected it to for the Hurricanes this year so far. I think that Rhett Lashley coming in as offensive coordinator has obviously helped a lot. And I think De'Ara King um, – is a perfect fit for what they're trying to do offensively under Lashley. So I think that that has helped the offensive line out a lot. They're getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, the running game has obviously come along. Cameron Harris has been really good. But the thing about Miami in this football game is that they haven't seen a team like Clemson yet, right? And Miami, you know, you think back to a few years ago where Miami, they won the 10 games and then we all kind of knew they were fraudulent because Malik Rozier wasn't really that good. And, you know, they turned it over a ton defensively. They were really good and had really good turnover luck. It was pretty clear that they were missing something. I think this team is better than that team that won 10 games a few years ago. I really do. And this is a situation here where I think Clemson is just better over the course of 60 minutes. And I think they do win and cover. I think Miami will show well in this game. I think they'll play well, but I think Clemson is just better over the course of 60 minutes. And look, as far as Miami's concerned, their toughest games remaining after Clemson, they got a game against North Carolina, which I mean, we'll see what North Carolina is this weekend. And they have a game against Plattsburgh. And then other than that, Miami's got some games against NC state. They got UVA some Wake Forest, like some very winnable games left on the schedule. We could see a situation here where Miami loses this game by two or three scores and doesn't lose a game the rest of the season. Like that's definitely in play here with the Hurricanes. So give me Clemson. They're better over the course of 60 minutes. They're an elite team in the ACC. Miami's not quite there yet, but I think they're they're much better than a lot of people are giving them credit for, I think. Yeah, you brought up Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence, and obviously on that side of the football, they have – you know, a ton of wealth of weapons. Ed, in the column, you brought up a guy defensively, a true freshman, Brian Breesey, who is a freak. Um, you know, you got, is that kind of why you have Clemson minus 14? Are you looking at it more of Clemson defense versus Miami offense? Yeah, I mean, it's not specifically just Brian Breesey. I mean, he's obviously a complete monster. And if you want to watch, if you're watching the game and, want to lock on to somebody on the defensive side of the ball for Clemson, just watch the true freshman defensive lineman. Cause he's just throwing people around like the rag dolls. But I think the biggest thing for me here is Clemson's finally getting to play somebody that the media deems to be half decent and they're going to want to prove that they're not half decent and that they still run the ACC um, in terms of Miami and why I don't think they can cover 14. Derek King's not going to be able to do his little disappearing act and run all over the field. Like it's nothing against a team like Clemson where they have guys like Brian Breesey who are, you know, whatever, over 250 pounds and run the same speed as Derek King. So he can't just run around like that all day long. It's not going to work against the kind of athletes Clemson has. Um, and then I really do think like Clemson being able to play somebody who, you know, is ranked and in the ACC and potentially a worthy opponent 
they're going to show up and they're going to show out. And Trevor Lawrence is actually going to get to play the entire game for once, which I'm sure he'll enjoy. Um, so, yeah, I like Clemson big in this one. Yeah, Brett, you brought that up too, how Clemson could come into this game with, you know, a little, you know, motivation because this is going to be the first time that they're on a national scale since playing uh, LSU in a national title game. And, uh, it, you know, do, do we get that? angry Clemson does Davo get them up for this game I think is the question where you're looking at this spread yeah I have to agree I think they're going to be absolutely fired up and I'll put it in all caps in the in the column I think they're gonna be fired to play this Miami team and show them the best team in the country um I think somebody's gonna knock Miami down to earth and I think Clemson is gonna be the one to do it um I agree with Mike though I think this could be the only game Miami loses I think this is gonna be like okay we're not good as Clemson but we're definitely better than everybody else so I think Miami is definitely better I'm I still just can't say it I cannot say they're back yet I just can't do it it's just I guess it's against my mantra but I think Clemson's at like also like what Ed said I think Clemson's defense is just athletic enough to contain King and they're going to make him throw the ball. He's not going to be able to run all day. And that's where it's going to spell trouble for the Tigers big time. And uh, I think they're going to get cover here by two or three scores. At least uh, I would maybe a push as possible, but I would say Clemson at least gets 17 or more. Also, Eaton and Lawrence both have a shot at the Heisman, in my opinion. And this is going to be their first game to really show out, especially since Lawrence has only played a total of six quarters in two games. So I think they're gonna. It's gonna be close to halftime. You're gonna see like maybe a fourteen ten or maybe a twenty one fourteen score at half or even closer than that. But I think by the fourth quarter, Tigers are just gonna put it all the way to the floor and get away with the win and, well, and the cover. Irby, Mister Honeymooner, uh, you probably had the easiest pick on this one out of everybody. Uh, yeah. So like I mentioned in the article. Uh, just married into a Clemson family. Um, that said, my wife, Anna, is a proud graduate of Virginia Tech, so I just want to put it out there that she her allegiances lie with the good guys, not with the Tigers. Um, she is a Hokie, but her family is not, um, and I would get in major trouble if I didn't pick the Tigers for my per- first pick um, after the wedding. Um, but... That said, I think that Clemson is just far and away the better team. Um, I think Clemson always plays well, especially in the regular season. Um, They play well when they're playing ranked opponents. Um, I think Clemson, I mean, especially in the regular season, like their only problem, the only team that can beat Clemson is themselves. Um, And Dabo always knows how to play in the big games, Um, especially during the regular season. Trevor Lawrence is just unconscious right now. Um, I watched him a couple weeks ago against the Citadel and granted it was the Citadel, um, but he played one quarter plus one series in the second quarter. And so in that little chunk of time, he threw nine passes, four of them went for touchdowns and only one of them was an incompletion. And that was because he threw a perfect ball that Amari Rogers dropped. Um, So that means he threw nine perfect passes of his nine passes. And I mean, he's just on another level. Um, I think it's interesting if you're a Miami fan, um, you're almost rooting more for Miami to beat the spread because if you can hang with Clemson, even if you don't win, if you can hang with Clemson, that proves that you're legit. Um, so I would be interested to see kind of if, you know, if Miami can hang around, I really, really doubt that they'll win, but would be interested to see if they'll hang around. 
Yeah, I mean, who would have thought we would have had a top 10 ACC matchup in week three? Uh, it's just, hey, this conference is getting places. It's This is getting much better football. Miami's better. Tech is better. UNC is better. Pitt is better. Louisville is kind of better. They're not a dumpster fire. Uh, so it's getting better. And it's it's really exciting to see the ACC on primetime television almost every week now. And we're going to switch it over to some prop bets. Mike McDaniel's got some props with another ACC game, and it's one that I have on my card. I think it's an interesting one, two building programs. Uh, Mike, take it away, man. Yeah, Friday night game, too, which is always fun. Um, yeah, I wish I could give more props, but, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, there are a lot of games this weekend that have, you know, a lot of, uh, hype around them and you usually don't see the prop bets until about 24 hours before. But with that being said, we got a couple props for the Louisville and Georgia tech game, which is one of the more intriguing games on the ACC slate, to be quite honest, it's not getting the headlines. A lot of people, um, are obviously really excited about the Miami and Clemson game and Virginia tech, North Carolina for obvious reasons, but this is a very interesting game here between Louisville and Georgia tech on Friday night. So one prop that I think is worth a flyer on, um, it's any team to score over 40 points. You're getting plus 125 odds on that. So, um, you know, bet 100 to, w- to win 125. Um, this is a situation where Louisville's defense has been really, really bad this year, right? Georgia Tech's offense, people expected, but there's still room for growth. Jeff Sims, really athletic freshman quarterback. Um, he's thrown the ball <laughs> well at times. He's been erratic at times, but he's added something in the run game. He's been able to get out of trouble when, you know, opposing defenses have gotten after him and overwhelmed that offensive line of Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech's really struggled in the red zone, which is why I think if they're able to put it all together um, after a week off um, and, and kind of shore that up a little bit, I, I think that the offense could be a bit better for Georgia Tech in this game. And it's a really good situation for them facing off against a Louisville defense that really has been terrible this year so far. But with that being said, I think the better bet here for a team to score over 40 lies with uh, the Louisville offense. Malik Cunningham is back on the field after that really scary hit it, he took a few weeks ago. He's a full go, so he'll be playing in this game, which is huge for Louisville. Adds, you know, he obviously raises the ceiling of their offense a ton because of what he can do with the ball is in his hands. He's got a huge arm. He's had some turnover problems early in the year, but he's also got seven touchdown passes. Um, he's throwing the ball all over the field. If you think back to Georgia Tech's game a few weeks back, they played Dylan Gabriel and UCF. And that game was semi-close for about three quarters. And then Dylan Gabriel just lit them up in the fourth quarter. A lot of big chunk plays through the air. Louisville loves to make a living offensively with these long passes from Malik Cunningham to his really talented group of receivers led by Tutu Atwell. Um, And I think this is a situation where Louisville could make some plays against a Georgia Tech secondary that hasn't been all that good this year. And it's an offense that can score quickly in Louisville. And with Malik Cunningham back and him being healthy, I think that's huge. I think um, Louisville scoring over 40 points and maybe this turning into a shootout is something worth looking at. Um, I think you're getting pretty decent odds there as well. And the second part of this is Louisville minus three uh, for the first half line. Um, I like Louisville's offense a lot in this game, as I just mentioned, against this Georgia Tech defense. While I think Georgia Tech's offense, like I mentioned, you know, if they, they're able to clean things up in the red zone, sure, like they can keep this thing close. But 
given Jeff Sims turnover issues, I think the easier bet and the more comfortable bet to place is on Louisville's offense against Georgia Tech's defense that really hasn't been all that good in the secondary or getting after the passer here in the early part of the season. So I like Louisville to win this game going away. And I think Louisville has the capability of putting up a lot of points on the board. I think they can definitely get into the forties, which is why I'm, I'm on that first bet. And I think Louisville can certainly uh, lead by more than a field goal in the first half. That's for sure. Yeah. This is a game where we're going to see what Scott Satterfield is made of as a coach, because I mean, coming into this year, it was Scott Satterfield, this Scott Satterfield, that the best coach since sliced bread. Look what he did with that program in a year. They've been less than stellar to start out. Um, You know, I, I, I think they are a year or two away, but they've had the hype. And, and can he right the ship there in Louisville? You know, can he can he fix what's going on midseason? Because that's really, really difficult. And very few coaches have the ability to, you know, grab a hold of their team and just do a 180 and flip it around. Georgia Tech is no cakewalk. They got players, they're well coached. Um, but this is a game where Louisville should win. They they should win this game. They should win it handily. I think it's just a matter of can they get the ball into the hands of their offense? Can the defense get off the field uh, without giving up points, <laughs> which is which will be the key. It'll be an interesting game to look at for sure. Um, you know, if, if Louisville has any hope of turning this season around, this is a must win. Um, and I think this is as much of a must win for ACC teams as there is. Um, Louisville's got to win this one. And, you know, we're going to move from that ACC game to our ACC game. It is hate week. I think over the past five, six years, uh, UNC has, you know, I think they've, in the recency mind, uh, see, I haven't played West Virginia too much. I think they've jumped West Virginia. They've certainly jumped Boston College. Um, you know, they're right there with Miami, but I, I think the, the, you know, the locality of it, I think they've jumped Miami. I think this is the number two rival for Virginia Tech. In, in college football is UNC. And this is, uh, I mean, it's hate week. I, I think this is the team that Justin Fuente, in his mind, wants to beat more than any other team. We talked about it on last week's podcast where it, he has this little flicker in his eye when he lines up against North Carolina. He wants to win that game. Um, and it's a game that Virginia Tech has you know dominated recently, especially with Justin Fuente. He's dominated teams from the state of North Carolina. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, but again, it's this is a tough one. This is a tough one. Again, it, as a as you know, bet the bet the numbers, not the team. Bet the numbers, not the team. And this is a really tough one. You have two teams who have played almost identical schedules. It, you know, you know, Masa Manos. I mean, pretty identical schedules. And they're both two and up. Um, Irby, what do you got here? Five point spread, by the way, it went from five and a half. We thought it would jump up to maybe, uh, around a touchdown or maybe even seven and a half. It actually dropped down to five. Uh, what do you have Irby at five? I actually have the Hokies here. Um, you know, I thought long and hard about this. I, um, my first instinct was to pick UNC just because of all the, you know, uh, effects COVID has had on our team, especially the secondary, but, um, and Brett pointed this out in the article, but, um, UNC secondary is just as depleted as ours is. 
Um, they had quite a few opt-outs and some injuries. Um, Bryce Watts, especially, um, you know, Storm Duck is a player out there, but um, the rest of that secondary is really young and really unproven. Um, and I think we have the receivers to, um, to torch them a little bit. Um, and then flipping it over to the defensive side of the ball for us, I mean, you know, have no idea what um, or who is going to be out there in the secondary. Um, but what I do know is that Virginia Tech has forced 13 sacks this year. Um, I think Justice Reed, even though he didn't have any sacks against Duke last week, it's pretty clear that Duke was paying pretty close attention to him, um, thus freeing up the way for Emmanuel Belmar to have three sacks. And now Belmar has proven that he is a viable pass rusher. Um, Amari Barno can come in and lead that second unit and just make Sam Howell work for it. Um, and his offensive line has not done a good job of protecting him this year. And that's shown in how Howell has three touchdowns along with three interceptions. Um, and I don't think it's a sophomore slump by any means, but I just think that um, UNC's probably greatest weakness of their very strong offense is their inability to protect the quarterback. Um, and I think Virginia Tech, which I would not have expected this coming into the season, but I think Virginia Tech is in a really good place to exploit that. Um, and meanwhile, I mean, Khalil Herbert's going to do what Khalil Herbert does. Raheem Blackshear, too. I mean, um, UNC's front seven is solid, but I don't think that they're good enough to um, gain any sort of advantage on our offensive line. Um, I just think the Hokies will win the battle in the trenches on both ends of the football, um, and that'll be the difference maker. So do you have Tech covering the five, or, or do, you think, do you think the Hokies come out of Chapel Hill with another win? Give me that Tech money line, baby. Given the money line, the money line's pretty low. I think I've seen it like plus 160, plus 170. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's pretty low for a money line. And, you know, Virginia Tech tends to play really well in the rain. Um, if you look back to that game, that classic game, it's the picture on our article against UNC in the Hurricane Matthew game. Look at them against uh, Miami way back in the past. Grayson Wimbish, fantastic article on SonsOfSaturday.com about that game. Uh, the pit game last year, Tech plays well in the rain. Um, and, and that gives me a little bit of hope. Ed, you're going to a little different route with the emotional hedge. Uh, what are you thinking for this one? Yeah, I mean, that really is why I picked UNC minus five is an emotional hedge because I have no idea which way this game is going. Um, I think at full strength, Virginia Tech's the better team. We just don't know what full strength Virginia Tech even looks like. Um, we don't know who the quarterback is. We don't know who's playing defensive back. We don't even really know who's calling the plays on defense. Uh, we haven't seen what it all looks like when it comes together yet. Um, I mean, early signs, you would expect it to look really good and like a really good team. But um, it concerns me a lot, the whole defensive back situation against a quarterback like Sam Howell with those weapons that he has. As much as I would love to see Tyler Matheny just bury Daz Newsom. Um, I'd rather that not be a scenario that we find ourselves in too many times throughout the night or day, I guess it's a noon game, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope Hendon plays and plays well. I would have loved to see him, you know, get a little bit of snaps in the last game to knock some rust off. Cause we do need to be able to throw the ball much better than we have been to keep up with these, you know, higher level ACC teams. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to go with the emotional hedge here. If Virginia tech wins, I'll be really happy. And if not, this will kind of soften the blow a little bit by, by picking North Carolina. So uh, that's, that's kind of my, 
my thoughts on this Group game. Group question. Who takes the most snaps at quarterback for the Hokies this week? Hendon. Hendon. I, I truly believe he wasn't ready to go last week, but he was, he was there. I think if he was ready to go, he would have played last week. But I think uh, – I think he's ready to go this week, and they kind of alluded to it on social media and press conferences. Yeah, yeah well, I'm not on Hinden, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised to see Braxton. But yeah, I'm yeah. yeah Braxton I think sucks the game doesn't come out. Oh, you think that? So no special. Like Do we see? Do I? I think if we see Hendon Hooker, we might see a Quincy Patterson special package around the goal line, something like that. I know they feel really comfortable with the read option game, um, especially with Herbert and Blackshear, who both seem to be really good near the line of scrimmage, um, especially with you know how dominant the offensive line has been. Um, I, I would like to see Hendon Hooker. I, I think it's he's the guy. He's the guy for this team. You know, Braxton Burmeister has has a lot of things that are good about his game. He has moxie, as they say, and I think he's an excellent athlete. But you know, throwing the football, he doesn't seem as comfortable as Hendon does. He has a quarterback rating right now of 31.9 out of 100. Uh, that's not good. That's really bad. And considering the competition that he's played, uh, you would have liked to have seen a bit more efficiency. I don't think the playbook has been opened up. Uh, I think the route tree the past skeleton has been very limited um and it's been limited to um you know routes that create one-on-one matchups and that are fed off the run game i don't think you'll be able to do that all day against north carolina and i don't think you can rely on tavion robinson and trey turner winning jump balls all the time you have to mix it up a bit i don't think burmeister's your guy for that uh brett you're feeling a bit better about this game as a hokey uh, you have the Hokies plus five, and you know there's a lot to dive into it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot. I, I, this is a game. This is obviously for me been the hardest one to pick of the year because this is our toughest opponent. So I did, you know, it was a little bit of a deep dive, and Irby had alluded to what I had said in the column earlier. I think that, you know, it's all about our defensive backs. Is you know who's playing, and if it's going to look like last week, it's going it's could be disastrous because how Sam Howe, Dammy Brown, and Newsom are going to be a force to be reckoned with pretty much. Um, they're extremely athletic. And we saw last year an argument. It, I mean, it really was a shootout for a little bit there, watching them run down, sprint down the field and just us trying to catch up. And we had Farley and Waller, who are the two best, two of the best corners in the ACC and arguably the country. So we got, we better hope we have at least some sort of someone to the defensive backs, but that's fixable. However, UNC's situation is, I said, unfixable. They, are a bunch of new players they're they have a true freshman i said when i use the word integrated in the column i mean they're just starting to play and they're just um you know getting some game time this year with three sophomores and a newly integrated junior so if we can take advantage of that, like ed said we gotta know how to throw the ball and i think Hedden's the guy to do that um but i think you're gonna see this is just kind of my hot take i think especially if it's raining you're gonna see all three quarterbacks this weekend at some point um and i really think you actually might see uh, two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. I think they're going to really open the playbook and really try to throw some stuff at UNC. Uh, secondly, the rushing game has been the best. And I said, since the David Wilson era, uh, Kula Herbert is shown that he is more than capable of carrying the team uh, literally um, on his running game. 
and especially on special teams as well. Um, and I love the new hashtag Vice Squad. I think it's something that we need to ride all season. I think this defense, this offensive line is nasty, and I think they're going to be able to hold their own against the Heels, who has a better defensive line than the than the last two teams we played. Um, and then switching on the other defensive line, our defensive line has forced 13 sacks in the last two games. That's just over a third of all of last season's 13 games, which is really, really good. Something that we've struggled with, I think, in the last five or six years is defensive line pressure. And I think if we can get to how all afternoon, I think the Hokies can get it done on the cover and the money line. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, the health and defensive secondary, I think, is a big deal. But it might not be as big of a deal as people think. Dorian Strong looked good. Had a couple mistakes, but he still looked good. Tyler Matheny, of course, came out of nowhere. I literally told the guy I was sitting next to watching the game, like, who is number 30? I- I've never seen a number 30 out there. Next play gets an interception, uh, which is you know a great story. And you you hope that this tech team is a little bit healthier, a little bit more in control. Um, and of course, you'd love to see Hendon Hooker out there. Mike, you have the Hokies plus five as well. Um, is that just a just a homer pick or you know, do you think you've seen enough from the Hokies in the first two games? I've seen enough. And to be honest with you, it's what I haven't seen out of North Carolina. North Carolina gets all this hype in the offseason as the next great thing in the ACC. And I just haven't seen it. They're in a slog with Syracuse in their first game of the year. It took them three quarters to wake up. They scored three touchdowns, one of the worst beats of the season for me. I had uh, Syracuse on the cover and North Carolina scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter to um, – you know, I snatched defeat from the jaws of victory for me there. Um, so that was unfortunate, but I wasn't all that impressed with North Carolina in that game. They obviously had a couple of weeks off. You know, they had the Charlotte game canceled because of COVID. And then they had the um, scheduled bye week there in the third week of the ACC season. So North Carolina's second game was last weekend against Boston College and they damn near lost the game. You know, BC is going for two. It's 24 to 22 with a minute left. Um, Phil Jerkovec throws for like 360 yards in that game. And, you know, he's playing with a Boston College offense that, look, they don't have a ton of receivers um, outside Zay Flowers. He's been really good, but they don't really have anybody else offensively. Um, he throws for a ton of yards on that secondary. Like you guys mentioned, they're replacing guys. They're trying to figure that out. And look, if you don't look all that impressive against Syracuse, who's a terrible football team, and you have to return a two-point conversion back, to seal the game against Boston college with a first year head coach, you're not the number eight ranked team in the country. I'm sorry. You're not Um, North Carolina. I think is very good. I don't think they're a top 10 team. I think they're much closer to Virginia tech in that 15 to 20 range. I don't know why they're the eighth ranked team in the country. Um, I don't understand the hype around the rushing defense. I think the rushing defense is good, but I think that people latching onto the stat of them holding opponents under 50 yards a game right now is inflated due to the fact that Syracuse is the 13th best rushing offense in the ACC. Boston College is the last ranked rushing offense in the ACC. So those have been the two opponents so far, which has helped North Carolina. I think they have a really good rushing defense. I don't think they're elite. I think they're very good. Um, But I think Virginia Tech can run on them. I don't think North Carolina's rushing defense is that much better than Duke's. And Duke had a really strong front seven that Virginia Tech had a lot of trouble running against in the first half. But eventually they kept plugging away. They made some adjustments at halftime and the dam broke. And look, even with the weather, um, I know that's something we can't predict at this point, but it looks like there's going to be a little bit of rain in this game. I think even if Virginia Tech is missing pieces in the secondary, 
I'm not sure that it's really going to matter all that much because I think the weather could negate things a little bit from a passing game standpoint. Virginia Tech's a better rushing offense. I think North Carolina is a very good team, but I think Virginia Tech wins this game on the road outright. I'm going to take the Hokies on the money line, but definitely take them plus the five points. I think they win this game. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point, too, that North Carolina, their their rush defensive statistics might be a bit uh, inflated because of the teams they played and the style that those teams have attacked them with. Um, you know, I think Syracuse, obviously, Dino Babers, it's a high tempo, pass the ball a lot, a lot of short passes. And then Boston College just, just aired it out, man. I've never seen that from a Boston College team. Um, so while metrically, where if you look at them on a per game basis, like one stat over a game, they look very, very good. When you take into consideration who they've played and, and the style of the game is going, you know, sharp college football actually has them as the, uh, 46th ranked defense in the country right now. Um, a score of minus 0.19, where you want to be more negative if anyone's interested in that. Um, and to put that in perspective, they have Virginia tech at 27th. Um, with a score of minus 0.41. So, and all that takes into account something that's really, really important for the Hokies and what has been is havoc plays, negative drives, Um, you know, a low drive efficiency for opposing teams. Um, Right now, Virginia Tech is one of the best teams in defensive havoc rate in the country that front four has been doing wonders. And I think that is going to save this Virginia Tech secondary, um, you know, being able to get, you know, rushing with three, four, uh, new defensive scheme under Justin Hamilton uh, is much more zone heavy. It's not going to put corners out on an Island. I, I think, you know, if we can get Waller back, I think that'll make a difference because you do kind of allow him to go one-on-one with uh, maybe Newsome, uh, the great ride receiver for UNC. Um, and then you can maybe, you know, pull a safety over for some help with Dorian Strong if he has to play corner or uh, Chapman if he's healthy. Um, you know, I think that'll help. And uh, again, like there are a lot of avenues for Virginia Tech to win this game. There are a lot of avenues. The reason I took and, North uh, Carolina. What was that? Sorry, Sam. I was just going to say one thing that like concerns me um, for Virginia Tech is that two of our biggest problems so far have been the pass game and the defensive backfield. And if we're relying on two guys who are very good players and huge for us last year and will be for the rest of this year in Hendon Hooker and Jermaine Waller, we're relying really heavy on guys who have not played in a long time. So um, the rust factor is super concerning when you're going against a team like North Carolina, Um, especially for a defensive back. It's hard to just like hop off the couch when you haven't played in a long time and play a live ball against a guy like Daz Newsom. So I really hope we can uh, – these guys have at least been practicing really hard because we need those DBs to slow down Sam Howell or Justice Reed needs to have like six sacks. I don't know, whatever you pick. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely going to be a challenge. I think you bring up a great point. Um, Hooker hasn't seen live, seen live action since that Kentucky game. Um, so, and yeah, that's kind of the reason I, I took UNC minus five here. Um, just from an odd standpoint, I think Virginia Tech is going to struggle to get UNC off the field as quickly and in as good field position as they have against North Carolina and Duke. And with what we've seen from Virginia Tech is great running game, but an inability to really put together a drive where it's 50% run, 50% pass, where you can really keep a defense on their toes. 
Um, and if you can't get North Carolina off the field, or if they get two or three first downs and punt, you're down at your 10, you got 90 yard drives to go. It's pretty hard to run the same three or four plays and go 90 yards. And, and I think that's where tech is going to struggle in this game. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think UNC is the number eight team in the country. I don't really even know if they're a top 15 team in the country, but they're certainly much more talented than the teams that Virginia Tech has played so far this year. And I think that catches up with the Hokies. Um, I, I hope that the playbook has been pretty much closed. And from what we've seen from Cornelson's offense last year and the year before, it, it has been. We haven't seen a lot of James Mitchell. We haven't seen a lot of Trey Turner packages. Um, you know, I think there's some there's some other stuff that they said that they have tucked away. And does do they bring it out this game? Uh, you know, we'll see if the weather's too bad. Maybe they don't. Maybe they try to stick to the run. But it, it's just it's very hard for me to see Virginia Tech going down there and getting Sam Howell off the field enough to allow the offense to go to work or, you know, being in good field position. I think this game can come down to field position. Um, and I think North Carolina has the edge in that. Now I will say the more I've thought about it, the more I'm liking Virginia tech, which is rare for me. Cause I, I tend to be, a, a I wouldn't say pessimistic, but you know, I, I tend to look at it pretty 50, 50. And the more I've looked at this game, the more I'm like, Hey, Virginia, Virginia Tech money line doesn't sound bad right now. You know, they there's a lot of things pointing to it. Um, it'll definitely be interesting. Uh, I, I think this is one of the base games of the season. This can define the season for Virginia Tech. I mean, you feel like, and, and I'll open this up to the group, if they get past North Carolina with how Louisville has looked this season, um, you know, with how Pitt has looked, uh, especially offensively, um, do this this could be a, a game that decides whether Virginia Tech has a chance to play in the ACC title game or not. Yeah, I'll, I'll play off of that, Sam, and just kind of quickly to just kind of counter your point there. If Sam Howell is not on the field, he can't beat us. And the one thing about this game that I love, absolutely love, and it's 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 a mindset game our scheme of how we've traditionally, almost traditionally, because Fuente's 4-0 versus UNC beat North Carolina, and that's by running the football, regardless of who's in the backfield. So to be honest, if it's Hendon, if it's Burmeister, if it's QP, it does not matter because it did matter when it was uh, in 2016. Um, it did not matter in 2017-18. Tech has averaged almost over 50 rushing attempts per game for 200 yards of the game versus UNC over the last four years. And you mean to tell me we come in this season with the most stout offensive line and the most stout rushing game with very experienced quarterbacks, of which all three of them, excuse me, two of them of the three played in this exact game last year and won. Uh, you just, they're going to win this game outright money line lock and then they're going to move on to that I'm, I'm probably the most confident this week than i have been a lot because we talk a lot about the secondaries you listen all that stuff is going to be a wash anyway and the fact is the mat they're going to convince themselves that if we have a week in secondary that they need to use sam Howell probably too much than they probably should in the first place and that's probably going to come back to haunt them because they're not going to be able to be as efficient as they want with our defensive line matching up against their I would say not stellar offensive line. And then you take this game momentum and then you start carrying it down the line. So you're talking about outlook. I think that this is the ignition for a Virginia Tech hype train all the way through to the end of the season. Like I'm, I'm really excited about putting it all together this week and finally 
knocking UNC back down to earth. It's going to be a hell of a game. I'm going to be nervous. I'm glad it's at noon, so I don't have to wait for it. Um, you know, this is this is the big one. I mean, this is this is the big game of the year. I, I think you can say that. This this is it, and I, I'm really excited. I think Tech will be a little bit healthier. I think they'll be really ready to go. I think this coaching staff. I have faith that this coaching staff will have the team ready to play that they'll have a game plan and they'll be ready to play. I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope this team can stop Sam Howell. Um, they struggled last year to do it. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But I'm very excited. I know all of us are. Keep checking out SonsOfSaturday.com because we have great pregame content. We have three reasons why Virginia Tech could win, three reasons why UNC could win. Um, the preview podcast from uh, the Sons of Saturday are is up on the feed it's on spotify apple podcasts wherever um and stay tuned to social media please um on saturday tweet all of us um you know we'll i'll tweet out all of our our our, uh our handles and you know let us know what you're betting this weekend let us know your thoughts uh happy betting i hope all your cards do well and as always go hokies go hokies